Hey guys, what's up? It's this is the uh, the sixth Wiki Game Guides podcast. It's gonna be a special uh, E3 edition. Uh, we're gonna go a little bit longer than usual. I think we're gonna be looking at something more like two hours, Simon. But uh, go ahead and ju- introduce ourselves. I am, as always, Alex Miller. I'm Simon Wu, and joining us this week, His Most Excellent and Serene Holiness, Defender of the Faith, Thereunto Belonging, Most Dread Co-Sovereign and supreme head in earth of the wikigameguides.com realms, that highest occidental star, etc., by the grace of the almighty, the most high potentate, Lord Dan Broadbent. Okay, very <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, I heard you say that in one of the earlier podcasts, and I was wondering if that's how you'd uh, introduce me today. Yep, and uh, I guess we'll make our theme music uh, God Save the King or something along those lines. Yeah, he was he was really excited. He's been practicing that voice. Yep. Cool. <laughs> well, th- thank you for having me here, and I'll be posting this to the Two Chimps on a Davenport uh, podcast feed as well to you know alleviate some of the time while John and I are different sides of the world. Right, I'm re- I've been following him on Twitter. It sounds like he's having the greatest time of his life down there. Everything's super cheap in in Hanoi and everything like that. So he's having fun. Um, but uh, Dan's with us, holding down the fort. And so we're going to start with our community callback section. Now we had a few comments. There are just four of them, uh, but they're all really long and kind of in depth which is great because we see a lot of what we're looking for, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate um, from our listeners talking to each other. So we'll take these in order. Dan, why don't you get the first one? All right. This first one is from Pigheaded Bobo Bo. Again, great podcast, guys. However, I'm not sure I agree with Simon saying the 3DS was a failure. Sure, it had a rough launch, but between the price drop and Mario sales, uh, it really rocketed. I'm sure Nintendo wanted a success on the level of the original DS, but it certainly hasn't failed. And I don't, I don't think it has failed to any extent, but it's all relative compared to the iPhone and uh, smartphones in general. Um, it, you know, if this were another smartphone platform, its its existence would be considered. A failure by by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but uh, Simon, as I, as I think I've said before, it's a little bit unfair to compare it to smartphones because if you're looking at just like sales numbers and things like that, those don't take into account people who aren't even playing games. You know, they just all the all the numbers for smartphones are everyone who buys a phone to use it as a phone to use it, you know, as uh, whatever like note taking thing, whatever gaming. All those things are all rolled up into one. Versus if you're getting a DS, it's exclusively for that. So, I mean, I think I said this before, but it's a little unfair to make that comparison. But the market isn't fair in terms of comparing apples to apples. People want to see the 3DS perform on the level of iPhones for games because otherwise it's not relevant and it can't compete on the same level. Now, I've seen the uh, recent Nintendo announcement. It was like the 3DS XL with, uh, I think, the 4.8-inch screen, so... They're really trying to, A, go after the Vita with its large screen, but um, uh, B, try and tackle some of these larger uh, smartphones with a bigger, like, touchscreen and all. I mean, Simon, do you think this is just going to be sort of the the trend with Nintendo going forward? Because all I've seen with 
DS lately. I mean, they added the, uh, I think it was like the camera with the DSi, but all I've seen really since the original DS is, oh, look, we made it, the screen a little bit bigger. Oh, look, this time we made it a little bit bigger, so it's totally different than the other one. And it just seems like they're sort of adding real estate little by little without adding that much more functionality. Yeah, it's their own little way of failing to imitate the uh, smartphone market as a whole, I guess. Um, so our second one is also by Pigheaded Bobo Bo. Um, I guess he decided to divvy it up into two comments based on two different topics. He says, I have to disagree with the person who suggested time-based match- matchmaking, seeing as we basically have that now. You can never get a kill playing MW3 and still earn experience, and theoretically, if you play long enough, max out your level. In my opinion, and that of many FPS players, Halo 2 and uh, to a lesser extent 3 had the most skill-based matchmaking in true skill. Even the best player never got a 50 on that system, and even if you did, it took hours of winning and playing your best. If you slipped up for even just one game, you could drop in skill rating. The problem is, good matchmaking doesn't get people to play, it's the thrill of reward. In skill-based matchmaking, you have to want to earn that number. While in the Call of Duty, average Joe can just say two more games and I get gun X, four more, and I can get perk Y. The fact is, the constant reward system multiplayer games have now keeps players playing longer. And I actually remembered uh, in Halo 3 agonizing. I was going for recon, which meant you had to get the seven skull achievements. One of them was to become captain in, uh, in, in the new ranking system. That required me to play ranked matches. And I was trying so hard to get my rank up. It was divided between uh, XP and rank. And your rank could actually go down based on if you lost matches. And so it took me forever to fight claw my way all the way back up eventually did it but uh that was one thing that did certainly keep me playing longer well um i do have an opinion on this one when i was playing uh, halo 2 online that was kind of the peak of my uh online multiplayer gaming i absolutely loved how the matchmaking worked and Although, you know, this pig-headed Bobo says Call of Duty, you know, you get people playing longer and, you know, they're rewarded whether or not they're good. You know, that's true, probably, but I don't think that means that there's not room for a game to go back and do it like Halo 2 did. Because, you know, there's something gratifying, incredibly gratifying about, you know, being... A level 35 out of 50, uh, you know, even if you're never going to get to 50, if you're level 35, you're good. And, you know, I really loved that uh, way of doing it. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I, I mean, as far as Call of Duty goes, you do still have to have some skill. I mean, I, unless you're playing something like, I guess, like Domination or something where you just sort of sit back and let other people capture bases, you do still have to kind of get kills. But, I mean, I see where... He, uh, where Bobo Bo is sort of nailing him there, because I mean it is true. You can just sort of sit back, but I mean I'd have to agree with with uh, what both you guys are saying. It's it really is the reward, and just if you're just sort of grinding, I guess that's sort of the the closest comparison I can think of. It is really is grinding in, a, in like in an MMO, where if you just say, oh, if I harvest this just this much longer, or if I kill X amount more of pink squirrels running through the butterfly forest then 
you know, I'll get this special fly swatter. You know, it's I, that's really that's the the closest comparison. And I mean, for me at least, that's that's not as fun. And so I I would agree. I hope we can see a return. I, I agree with Dan that there's definitely room in the market. Whether or not we will see something like that, I don't know. But I can you know you can always hope. And uh, our next comment is uh, by Millennium Master 18, who was kind enough to join us on the last Wiki Game Guides Comcast, and I think he did an excellent job. But uh, he writes, "The industry controls gaming. Indie developers might be on the rise, yet I don't see them taking over the majority of the gaming market anytime soon." Due to this, it was kind of expected for Minecraft to bend their game a little bit in order to fit within corporate game standards, achievements, and ending, and whatnot. Nevertheless, they aren't yielding the core aspect of the game, a theoretically infinite amount of entertainment, which is good for gaming. This sort of rebelliousness with regards to a game's replay value is not convenient to the gaming industry, however, as it obviously doesn't want to lose the sort of income generated by sequels and story expansions. This supports the idea that they tried and tested old, by that I mean antiquated, way of doing business within the gaming corporations is not completely compatible with the intentions of gaming per se, or at least with its popular intentions. Big-time players in the gaming industry are going to have to adjust their business strategies in order to profit from what the people want in a game, rather than trying to set trends that suit their purpose and don't benefit gaming that much. Else they're going to get run out when someone else acquires the ability to do the aforementioned. Of course, I know this is all wishful thinking. Reality dictates that such kind of consciousness in regards to what to be expected expected from a game is mostly present among game analysts and a few involved gamers such as ourselves. Yet that's something worth delving a little bit into. And I mean, I would I definitely agree, especially with the somewhat cynical, definitely pragmatic uh, conclusion there that while we all sort of wish that that were the case, that the industry really catered to our needs. We all know they uh, they credit or they they cater to the creditors, you know, the people who are in the boardrooms. So, I mean, it it would be nice if they, you know, work towards more things we want. But I remember a comic scene somewhere. We'll we'll post this up uh, with the podcast, but it was like a side by side thing. I think it might have been something like XKCD or uh, Saturday Night Happiness, where they're showing like this is what would happen if you were in a restaurant. And this is what would happen as a gamer. And it's like a waiter is like slapping you and spitting you in your food. And in a restaurant, you'd say, hey, you know, I'm not coming back here. But as a gamer, you say, okay, now can I have the DLC, DLC please? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the exact same. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Exactly. We, we've all uh, harped on Bobby Kotick. I know, Dan, you and John have time and time again for his comments. Clearly, just as a complete capitalist, not uh, basically – coming to our us as an audience at all saying we are here to make money not to be creative or make games that people necessarily want to play even though we all eat it up time and time again it's it's that complete um basically corporatism you know corporatism in in gaming that's what minecraft is trying to you know rebel against provide you infinite playability instead of stringing you along with the kind of this content yeah and i think notch's sort of i I guess social commentary where uh gold is really worthless in there for anything other than like a powered rail where it's like it's in you know all all honesty it's really a worthless metal other than the value we we ascribe to it so i think i just thought that was sort of funny Right. right. Uh, we'll let that social commentary rest there. So, Dan, would you like to take the next one? Yeah. 
All right, so our next – oh, is this that really long no, one? No, no, no. This is okay. our fourth comment. Okay, good. Uh, Rare Daniel 46 writes, great podcast again, guys. Sorry I haven't been commenting like I have done. I've been busy and been away. Minecraft is a great game. Never played it on the PC because I don't have the best of PCs, but I have it on the Xbox 360 Played it for about a week, haven't touched it since. Uh, they haven't updated it, but I will most likely pick it up when they do. Also, most of the game-type movies, like the Assassin's Creed one, which has all the things in it to carry on from the first Assassin's Creed, unlike the Modern Warfare 3 one, which has nothing to do with it, where, spoiler... Captain Price dies in it, unlike the game everyone else dies, and he lives. One last thing. Have you ever thought about doing a bit in the podcast where you quickly go over the games that have come out in the week and whether or not you will play it? Okay, so um, we have a couple of things to say here. Uh, Firstly, that um, our our original intention wasn't to do release dates or anything like that. We really try and sit, wait for the news to settle, and then go ahead. But if our audience suggests it, then uh, we'll definitely look into that. Probably not in this uh, this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we will look into it, but at the same time, you know, we definitely don't want to step on any toes. You know, that uh, Dan and John do a little bit of that over in uh, Two Chimps, so, you know, we both have our separate arenas. Right. So now, uh, I do also find myself limited by the version of Minecraft that's on the Xbox right now. I have uh, many friends and even my brother who play the latest version on their PCs. They're constantly talking about these new features that I have, constantly saying, oh, you don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have glass panes, you can't make this. And I kind of just keep thinking, how much more could I do if if I had this functionality? Though at the same time, I'm kind of happy that uh, they're missing... One feature that I know is uh, present in the PC, and I know we actually, you know, credit where credit is due, they talked about this in the uh, the Rooster Teeth podcast. I don't know if this was the most recent one or one before that, but uh, they were talking about how I think it's like creator mode or something like that in the PC version, where you can just sort of spawn various bricks, and I, th- I kind of like it how uh, in the Xbox version you really have to you have to work for everything. It's the exact same way that the multiplayer we were talking about before. It, you, you really have a sense of accomplishment. Because you know there's no other way that you could have made this other than to have mined, you know, 10,000 blocks of cobblestone to find the right amount of X resource to build Y building. Yeah, Yeah, we've been – Alex and I have been playing a game and we are desperately short of gold to make more powered rails for a subway. Uh, Now moving on to address the – Call of Duty comment, uh, your spoiler tag, I think you misinterpreted what game that was for. This was supposed to be a prequel for Modern Warfare 2, in which Price isn't killed, he just gets hit and injured. And that's what allowed him to be captured and taken to the Gulag, where you meet him later in the game. It has everything to do with that game. Yeah, and you have to actually know, I guess, a little bit of backstory behind it. Actually, I mean, when I watched it, I didn't know this, but Simon told me after I saw it that that was actually, that was fan-made. Yeah, so, I mean, that that wasn't actually an official trailer in the same sort of same way that like the Assassin's Creed one and the Halo ones were. So, uh, thanks for that comment. And we're going to move on to this super, super dense email. 
um, that uh, one of our listeners wrote. And we'll take this bullet point by bullet point. Uh, Thankfully, he did separate it in some sort of fashion. So he starts, Hey guys, first off, I have no need to be anonymous. I just find typing emails easier. I'm Arcane Knight on the site, sometimes referred to as Stay Valiant. Sorry about my super bulky paragraphs. I just have a ton to input. Love the show, and I'll try to stay current with the podcast so my emails aren't as huge. You guys don't have to read everything here. Maybe just summarize on the podcast. Um, So he was referring to our policy that we keep all emails anonymous unless you otherwise specify, like he has, and so we've released his name. And uh, we'll we'll try and summarize as best we can, but we will uh, try not to lose the spirit of it, so we'll read them out. So starting off, it says, So to touch up on the new console topic one more time, I think this best ties in with uh, your guys' discussion about the new Unreal Engine. After seeing E3 and assessing everything that was being offered, I believe that the next-gen console will be now be announced at the next E3. And Simon, I'm just going to take a little aside and say, ha-ha, I was right. It probably will be two to three years, I'm looking at two years versus your one year. So, ha-ha. Uh, and continuing, and released either the next year or that fall. There have been games popping up like Star Wars 1313 that have people asking, can the 360 and PS3 really handle graphics and mechanics like that? Personally, I don't think the, these current-gen consoles can handle these new graphics smoothly. My theory is that they're developing these games for the next-gen consoles and just aren't allowed to say it. Did you guys see the, ne- the new engine Final Fantasy showed off? No way current-gen consoles can run that. They must have next-gen in mind. So with that, I still uh, stick with my 2013-2014 release date for the new consoles. Moving on to Dan. So, uh, 2013 does seem a little soon. Uh, Just, I don't know, do you guys think that those uh, released Xbox future documents are real? Yeah, those, uh, the ones that... uh were released, but then Microsoft quickly asked everyone to take them down, and I think that was the ultimate sign that they were genuine. I was listening to, I listened to Windows Weekly, which is probably the authority on anything Microsoft. It's Paul Therott and Mary Jo Foley, so two of the biggest Microsoft watchers, and uh, from what uh, Paul Therott's sources say that they were genuine, and so therefore we should take those um, as fact. They might be a little old. Things may have changed since then, but the overall outline is uh, the same. And we can also see that with the fact that uh, things that were in the past for that document have happened now. Yeah, okay. So I guess that would mean uh, next year, uh, Christmas, we're going to see a, an Xbox and a, that's you know six to eight times more powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I mean, Christmas next year, I think, would have to be the earliest because there's no way they're going to release anything without, A, a big tech show, something like on the level of E3, and then several months of sort of like a press campaign building up to that. So, I mean, I I guess Christmas like that, I mean, that makes sense. Obviously, that's, you know, one of the the biggest buying times of the year. So, I mean, I, I suppose that would be around then. Secondly, it doesn't have to be anything like uh, E3 or any trade conference like that to counter your point, Alex. As we just saw with the Microsoft Surface event, they are quite capable now of generating a ton of press for an announcement of a single product on their own. Um, 
but we'll talk about the uh, leaked documents and Surface and Windows Phone 8 and all those sorts of things in our next podcast. This one is purely for E3. Yeah, but I mean, Simon, just, I mean, just sticking with that real quick, I mean, don't you think they would want to do it at something like E3 where not only they can benefit themselves but they uh, directly, but they can also benefit themselves indirectly by really taking away some of the attention and you know media focus on some of their rivals because i mean if they steal the show completely at something like e3 that can be just as damaging to their opponents as it can be benefit beneficial to them because if you're not getting that kind of press attention then i mean you could be sol but uh what about when the xbox 360 launched way back in 2005 it was the launch event in the mojave desert where they launched the 360s and there were industry insiders and uh, press lined up there who got all their free swag, got to buy their Xbox 360s and uh, all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they can't do it. They definitely could if they wanted to. But what I'm just saying is, I mean, wouldn't it make sense to try and, you know, hit two birds with one stone, take out your opponent while also really benefiting yourself with getting yourself one of the largest stages you can? Well, it certainly makes sense, but the thing is I'm, I'm trying to cite the past precedent for how the previous console was launched and also uh, extrapolating that with more recent uh, publicity events for Microsoft's own branded hardware. So yeah, I mean, it certainly makes sense, and I think Xbox could – the Xbox team could listen to this podcast and get some valuable ideas on how to upstage Sony and Nintendo, but based on what we've seen thus far – with the previous Xbox and new hardware, it seems to suggest that Microsoft would uh, create their own event somewhere and show it off that way. Yeah. I mean, Dan, you have anything else to say on that? Yeah, I'd, uh, I agree with Simon. Um, you know, with this tablet release, it seems like they took a page out of Apple's book and just, you know, kept the secret, and it paid off. And then the thing about doing that over E3 is, you know, you can win E3, but if you're not even competing, you're going to win no matter what, like if you have your own event. Um, you know, Sony is going to probably be, an, even if they didn't launch their console at the same time, they're going to announce it at the same time. Uh, and the odds of Microsoft being able to keep, you know, the fact that they're going to announce a console at E3 secret seem pretty slim. So Sony would know and be able to, uh, you know, try to counteract everything they're going to say. But if they keep it secret to their own show, then, uh, you know, it's not really as big a threat. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a fair point. I, I mean, the one thing I would say to that is that if we're nearing that time when, you know, we, we're thinking the next console is coming, I mean, to be fair, that's like now basically. But, I'm, I, I mean, with Windows 8 well and truly out there, Windows Phone 8 well and truly out there, I mean, the next big thing for Microsoft that I can think of is the next Xbox. So I don't know how well the secret they can keep it when they announce a new show that's coming out for a new Microsoft product that, you know, I almost think if they do that now, I almost wonder if it would be a letdown if it, if it, if it wasn't the 360. And just one, and one more thing, I think it is kind of funny that you make that uh, Apple comparison because those are actually the uh, the exact words Simon used to me when uh, he sent me the uh, the link for the show he was uh, he was saying uh, you know Microsoft is now able to generate I think it's uh, what you said you said Apple levels in th- of enthusiasm exactly mm-hmm. when I watched the press event live or not live but the uh, following because they didn't even allow live uh, filming 
Um, and I heard when some of the features were announced that you know there were shouts and general enthusiasm. And when there was criticism, I was reading all the critiques. You know, I'm not a blind fanboy. I try to be uh, decently balanced about it. I try and see that if there is something wrong with it, then clearly I will come out about that. No. They haven't announced price. They haven't announced availability, anything like that. Are they undercutting their OEMs? I don't want to get too into detail about this, but I can, I can certainly criticize it. But when I saw a criticism about it, uh, there's something that I've never really seen before up until very recently, which is Microsoft fanboys. Now, obviously, we have super, super Mac um, fans and obviously Linux because that's the only way Linux continues to exist. But it was really interesting to me to see these Microsoft fans raging about any sort of criticism of this product and saying, you know, it's, it's completely awesome. I don't know how there could be anything wrong with it. It's like, we don't even know if the battery life is comparable to the iPad. Let's uh, let's let's calm down a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it it's interesting. I I definitely think the uh, the new tablet is going to be pretty awesome. Like, I mean, from everything I've seen so far, everything I've read, it it looks like a like a top notch product. But I definitely agree with you. We do need more information before the uh, the final verdict can be given. So, I mean, moving on uh, through the email, the next sort of I guess bullet paragraph, whatever you want to call it, is uh, connect and move capability. I think they're just going to port it over. The thing I'm kind of wondering is if the connect really does need to have the ability move, uh, to move around like it currently does, which is why I thought it's been hard to integrate into the next console. Otherwise, anything's possible for a next-gen console. I was really disappointed with what they showed at E3. Not really anything mind-blowing for the connect. It feels like they're just trying to attach it to their big titles. And that certainly is true. Really, the one aspect that uh, Microsoft has all publishers able to fit it in is just voice commands. That's really it, just simple voice commands. If you can't do anything else, at least the only bone you could really throw in for Connect is have it say, Xbox, do action X to achieve effect Y in this game. And um, that sort of feels like it's uh, tapping into the gimmick there, but uh, there were some there were some big Connect titles, and we'll get to that once we get to our E3 topics. Now, as far as integrating it to a console, yeah, that would be difficult because that means, as we've said before, I think Alex and I have had this discussion. If uh, your Xbox is down below under your surround sound and all, and your Connect is on top of the TV, kind of makes it hard to reconcile the two. That being said, however, I have a new example to point to for integration, which is the new laptop that I've ordered, which is uh, <laughs> incidentally a Sony Veo, the Z series, which in the webcam, I don't know how they did it, but Sony has somehow used like black magic or witchcraft, uh, and it actually has gestures like controls. So if I wave my hand back and forth in front of the webcam, I can flip through web pages or pages of an ebook I'm reading or pages on a Word document, slides on a PowerPoint, that sort of thing. Um, so there's there's a point for and uh, and a point against. Uh, I'm going to say that there's no way that the Connect is integrated into the machine. Uh, like you said with your laptop example, that laptop, you know, that camera is placed above the screen. 
uh, the Xbox doesn't come with the screen, and I think that the Kinect, you know, needs to be oriented to the screen, not to the hard, you know, the thing that's playing the game. Well, but I, I kind of wonder if somehow you had like a, a larger lens or some way that was made it almost like like conical, where you know it sort of it opened up more so that it, it could sort of it could see the the whole room without actually having to move up or down or be placed at a certain level because i mean at the end of the day it doesn't it doesn't need to be looking straight on i mean my connect is probably at like ball level right now but it's still able to pick things up generally <laughs> um but i mean I, I i don't know um yeah so we'll uh we'll leave that discussion there as it stands and uh dan will you take the next bullet okay we're uh limited editions okay as far as the limited edition section goes, I completely agree with you guys. While I do believe having a little gaming trinket is cool, it's extremely gimmicky, I'd at least recommend these toys and DLC packs all be available eventually in the marketplace or an online store or something. What I see the perfect limited edition includes is free access to future DLC, uh, like Halo 4 will do with their new maps, and maybe some extras that have no special importance to the game, like an art book or musical soundtrack. That way, collectors can get what they want and pay the extra for cool things, and at the same time, let casual gamers be able to have the same in-game benefits, even if that means uh, they get it a bit later, as the consumers that buy the limited editions. I do believe limited edition consoles are different. The gaming market has done great with them. They're cool to look at, have cool features, maybe bundles with a popular game, and as Simon said, have some resale value when you want to upgrade. Uh, first, I would just like to say, Dan, if you want to send us that Assassin's Creed book, we would absolutely love it if it hasn't been given away already. That book, those two books are in such high demand. Um, I will see. I can tell. I mean, I, I you've heard me on podcast after podcast say that Assassin's Creed is one of those franchises that I'm completely invested in. It's like I try and pursue every avenue of secondary material out there. And this is actually kind of a fusion of these two discussions, this limited edition thing. It's like this unique thing that I don't necessarily have access to and secondary material. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, Dan, if you want to uh, provide Simon with a list of names and addresses of people who'd be interested in that, I think you'll see demand go down. And oh, on, 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 no. on, 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 on a side note, Simon has been uh, trying to invest himself further in the Assassin's Creed franchise. He's been practicing some, uh, some assassination techniques. I mean, those are totally unrelated, but, uh, but yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. I've been uh, practicing my bomb crafting technique, get some... Uh, Splinter shells and uh, the gunpowder. Oh, actually, gun powder in there. careful saying that shit, Simon. You're, you're going to be like the fucking Unabomber or something. <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, I, I see the FBI truck uh, rolling up outside. Yeah, but anyways. <laughs> and off that um, talk, that'll get us on a no-fly list. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, it's uh, My new laptop is... I really try and go for limited edition hardware wherever I can, Um because it does give you a bit more um, longevity if I want to sell it. So my new laptop is the 15th Anniversary Collector's Edition, and my mouse is currently the Microsoft Arc Touch mouse. It's uh, it's the Chinese Year of the Dragon Edition. Um, 
Now, that one was more for my benefit because um, that was something I really liked. But uh, it's the same idea. And to have limited edition DLC become available sometime in the future, I think that's the best way to uh, have people give people a little bit of benefit and then also allow everyone else to have it at a later time. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, adding on to that, I'd say that... Uh, you could almost even have three tiers, and I know, I mean, I'm, I might get some flack for this, and I know Mass Effect 3 took a, a ton of flack in the gaming world, and that is an understatement, but I, I did kind of like the way they had a, a three-tier system where they had just, you know, the regular game, and then they had uh, one up from there where it was just you know the dlc you could buy i mean there's a lot of people who will get in arguments about whether that was on disc or whether that was you know added the last second or what have you but i mean i i did i did like that how i could purchase the uh that special edition without getting the uh like the 130 dollar edition because i didn't i mean i'm not that kind of collector i don't need the art book and all that stuff, but the access to the DLC I thought was nice. Also, it provides people a much more affordable way to get it instead of having to lump sum $130 right on the get-go. You pay your $60 up front for the game, and then you pay 10 more in increments each, 800, 1600 Microsoft points, and that way you're able to spread it out, get a lot more people eventually that will be able to buy it. And... Um, so with that, let's uh, go on to next point. He says, I love Windows 7. I'll probably take a look at Windows 8 when it's officially released and decide right then and there I want to make the move. I think Simon hit it dead on with the PC conundrum. Windows 7 works fine, and Windows 8 is a big change with graphics alone. Most people will probably just chill back on 7 for a while until it starts actually getting really beneficial to hop onto Windows 8. I'm just starting to get into desktop building and buying my own parts, still working on the SSD. So I'm not really deep into the OS and processor stats that Simon is. I completely skipped the Vista generation because XP just worked fine for me, and I, all I knew was that it was kind of buggy. I think it will be like that for a lot of people with Windows 7 and Windows 8. And, uh, sir, I would like to um, compliment you on your consideration of an SSD. In fact, I heard I read a, a Verge article in the past couple of days which said that SSD prices have fallen in half the past year and are on a trend to continue going downwards, reaching probably a point of parity in the next three to four years. I mean, that will just, I think, lend itself to the talk we had before if whether or not the next generation is going to come with uh, maybe not a full SSD but at least a partial SSD system in there, sort of like a, like a hybrid drive. As far as I can tell, on my new computer, it uh, actually doesn't have um, dedicated graphics. That It's too thin for that. It's 0.66 inches thick, um, so there's no way they could fit a discrete graphics on there. But it has the new Intel uh, HD 4000 graphics. Now, we can talk about synthetic benchmarks all we want, but uh, there was, there's a video posted of it, a gaming review of it, and it was playing Diablo 3, Skyrim, and Modern Warfare 3 with moderate to high textures 
on uh, 1600 by 900 resolution at 40 to 50 frames per second. Integrated graphics, people. This is how far we have come. So we can definitely see. When I said we were talking about gaming on Ultrabooks, uh, I wasn't kidding. This is possible now. So, Dan, you got the next one? Yeah. All right. I... I personally need to usually play prequels because I don't like to start in the middle of a story. The only games I really jumped into the middle of was Gears, I started on 2, and Halo, also started on Halo 2. Gears wasn't too hard to understand, Locust bad, must chainsaw. Halo was a little bit harder to understand, and it was difficult to put the pieces together. I bought Halo Combat Evolved, and I'm currently playing through it to to finally complete the sequence of events for myself. I'm playing in the old graphics, and then I'm going to try the legendary run on the good graphics. I played through the Mass Effect series from the very beginning, and I think you must start from the beginning to get the full experience. Same Assassin's Creed and Bioshock. You really get pulled into the story if you started in the beginning. Is it necessary? Eh, not really. But if you want a full experience, I highly suggest jumping on Amazon and getting the first or however many games in whichever series, because usually by the time you see the third installment of a game and decide to jump in, the first one is really cheap to purchase. Usually game mechanics aren't too different, so that's not a factor. Usually just story, mainly for a game like Mass Effect. I think it's just important to do research because... You in no way need to play every game in the Elder Scrolls series, Diablo series, Fallout series, or anything like that. P.S. Mass Effect driving sequence were balls. So my first comment is that if you are going to buy um, these used older versions of games on Amazon, uh, please use the Amazon link at the bottom of every page on Wiki Game Guides. Oh, thank you. No problem. Also, yes, those driving sequences were terrible. Now, in terms of playing every game, I certainly don't think you need to play it, especially with things like the Fallout series. I mean, 1 and 2 were RTSs. Stop right there. They were not RTSs. They were also RPGs. They were overhead, more dungeon scroller type, where it's sort of you take turns. They weren't the same 3D first person kind of RPG, but they were definitely... There, there was an RTS in the Fallout series, but that was between 2 and 3, and it was sort of lost to time because it wasn't anything special. But anyways, back to what you were saying. I see. And also, for your playthrough on Halo uh, Combat Evolved, I assume Anniversary, because it's like good graphics, bad graphics, uh, when you're doing your Legendary run, I highly suggest at some points, especially when you're sniping, to turn off the good graphics, because... That way you get the really stripped-down look, and everything's bare, and all the enemies are in plain sight. Whereas when uh, when you're on good graphics, you've got bloom and plants and foliage all up in your way, and everything's really colorful, and the enemies kind of blend in. I especially noticed this on the level Truth and Reconciliation, where you have to start out sniping. I was like, I've got to cut through all this crap. And so I switched back to old graphics, and uh, it was much easier from there on. Uh, but just just for that segment itself. So, um, yeah. And I'm, now that we've uh, gotten through all of uh, their points for the fourth podcast, we're now moving into all their points for the fifth podcast. Yay! <laughs> yeah, dude, you really had a lot to say. So, 
I was playing Skyrim while this podcast was going on, so I didn't really come up with that much input to this one. That's perfectly okay. You have done your duty. Uh, But I love the new guest, and I always enjoy hearing what you guys have to say about gaming news. First, I'm a big fan of the cinematic trailers and game ads and stuff like that. I have to bring up the question, though. Who is this for? These cinematic videos just get me excited for the games I already pre-ordered. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Simon and I have sort of gone back and forth on this and the uh, fifth co- fifth podcast. But I mean, Dan, do you have anything in particular to uh, pitch into that? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you heard it. That that was it, folks. I mean, um, yeah, it's fair enough. It, it, it's a. It, I, I I almost think it's sort of a, an unanswerable question because, I mean. It could be for so many people. I mean, unless you're asking, I guess, the marketing people, there's really no way for us to know. Yeah, the uh, the next one uh, reads, As for Minecraft, I could talk about that game for hours. I was a PC player since almost the beginning and just stopped recently. I picked up the 360 version and I immediately got hooked again, spending hours building up a house. The scary part is that the game does really have, uh, does really have that many updates. I think the reason it caught fire on Xbox are because the online is much is than the PC. I'm going to go ahead and say that is much better than the PC. It's just seamless login, logout gameplay, which makes playing with friends a breeze. And I'm just going to pause right there and just add in that as far as my own personal opinion goes in the discussion of uh, on on like online gaming and matchmaking and things like that, this is why Xbox Live is such a better product than PSN is I understand you're paying for it, but you definitely are paying for a premium product. And I'm not sure that could be this could be done in the same way on PSN, where it's a little bit more of a free-for-all. But anyways, continuing. Uh, Second, the game is just naturally addicting. You build, explore, and the possibilities are endless. The fact that there is no direction is the great part. You can be working on your townhouse and a week later join a friend server and get inspired after seeing his beach house. Soon you have another 50-hour project on your hands. I'm currently taking a break, waiting for a couple of updates to release, but the game just has a plethora of possibilities for those who are veterans and noobs when it comes to the Minecraft world. Now, I've had this uh, this effect that you're talking about happen to me several times. I'll just be perusing the internet, and I'll see a great idea, and I'll instantly say, okay, now let me go build that in Minecraft. Uh, the most recent inspiration for me was someone was talking about making a volcano out of a mountain, you know, just pouring a a couple blocks of lava and letting it cascade over the mountain and into the surrounding valley. So I was like, let me do that, but let me make a house in that volcano. And not just that, let me make it entirely out of glass, so I'm now like a Bond villain. Yeah, I, just, I, yeah, I was going to actually say that. We are officially Bond villains now because we have the three crucial things. We have a mountain fortress, we have an underwater lair, and we have a mountain like villa that is under a volcano all connected by a subway system we are, was that, we're, we're officially bond villains yeah exactly um so with that thanks for taking the time to read my input like i said before i'm completely willing to jump on the show one week and give a few of my ideas and thoughts to the podcast especially on an e3 section keep up the good work so Thank you once again, and now let's do our usual round of NPR announcements. Oh, yeah, well, I was just going to say real quick, I was going to also thank the uh, the emailer there, but, uh, I mean, I'm, obviously, this is uh, this is that E3 edition, so we're sorry we couldn't 
work you in. Unfortunately, Dan kind of jumped in front of you there, but we're definitely we're going to try and work uh, you as well as you know a bunch of other people into the podcast because as we've been saying from the beginning, this is all about you guys, and we want to make this as user friendly, listener friendly as possible. Yep. So if you have any comments to make, um, long or short, you can either comment in the post below. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a comment there, rate everyone else helpful, um, or send us emails like this person has to comcastwgg at gmail.com. And so with that, we're going to end our community callback section, but we have a little interstitial, which is uh, we're going to talk about Dixicles section, which is the games that we've been playing since the last podcast. Dan, would you start us off? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I've been playing some interesting games. Uh, first off, Brave, the Pixar Brave, the video game, which, I don't know, I just made a guide because you never know it's going to get a ton of views on YouTube. So far, it hasn't gotten anything, but surprisingly, this game isn't terrible. Uh, I would totally recommend it for non-gamers, like people who don't really know how to play games yet and are into Pixar movies because, you know, the story's perfectly good. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know if it's the same story, but it's good. And the combat is more... I also played Lego Batman, and I would say Brave had better combat. It was more fun. There's melee and, like, you have an arrow, and then there's, like, four different powers you can have, and certain enemies are weaker against certain powers so i was totally surprised that the game wasn't horrible so i wouldn't really recommend it to any hardcore gamers which is probably everyone listening right now but that being said i also played lego batman 2 the dc superheroes um i was making i guess a walkthrough for the story mode so this this one's open world and I didn't do any of that, I just stuck to the story, but it was the first LEGO game I've played, so I can't really say if it's the best, but the voice acting is a new feature, and they had really good voice actors, and the story was entertaining. Um, I'm not a huge fan of these LEGO games, but it was pretty solid. Alright, so now that you've said that, I'm going to do everything following from this point forward in the Celtic accent because of Brave. Good yeah, no, Simon, don't do that. But no, Dan, uh, and really any of the listeners, you guys should have seen Simon's face the the moment you said "brave" and that you've been playing it. That it was fun. Just a look of almost blank disbelief <laughs> kind of crossed Simon's face. He's sort of scratching his head a little bit. You know, put his hand up and uh, a bit a bit of confusion there. But that's pretty funny. I mean, uh, Simon, I, I know what uh, what I've been playing. But what have you been playing? All right, so uh, okay, no. Uh, I've actually been playing um, the aforementioned uh, Minecraft on Xbox 360 a whole ton, making our aforementioned Bond villain layers. But I've also um, did that Left 4 Dead 2 uh, System Link uh, tournament that I was alluding to previously. Uh, we got two Xboxes together, four player, doing uh, all of the Left 4 Dead 2 campaigns. And let me tell you, it is a blast when you've got all four people it's 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 fun when there's one person, better when there's two, but when you've got four people simultaneously doing it in the same room, uh, that's that's just a whole nother level of fun. 
it, it turns I, I wasn't there but I've heard about it and it turns into shit shit oh what oh fuck no shit 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 so it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun so if uh, if any of you guys have access to a couple of Xbox and have more than two friends then <laughs> definitely give that a try system link is uh, I think it's a, a bit of a dying uh, dying art land parties are seeing as you know Xbox Live is so easy and so convenient these days. But definitely give that a go if you can. Um, as far as myself, uh, I, I mean, obviously been playing Minecraft a lot lately. Like I actually, I I played it a little bit before that podcast, obviously, and I uh, on the PC though, and I'd watched some videos and you know I'd read a lot of things. But I, I hadn't played it on the Xbox until after the podcast because Simon just – he brought his profile over to my house and played a little bit. And then I kept playing and I kept playing. And I felt like a drug addict or something because I just got hooked. And I immediately went out and bought the game and I've just been playing it a ton. But uh, other than that, I've been playing a, a lot of Star Wars The Old Republic lately. been having a lot of fun with that game. And I uh, think – oh – also, another game that I've picked up just recently is uh, actually something Dan and John talked about on their last podcast. Somebody they mentioned uh, about uh, E3 is uh, Day Z or Day Z. I don't know if you're British or what, but yeah, I mean, as they talked about on their podcast, it's sort of zombie shooter slash survival slash awesomeness. Yeah, so it's just. That that has been a lot of fun. Yep, and uh, they you know did a the drink along live stream um, at my job when I'm working. I actually am watching it, uh, watching uh, Dan, um, you and John just uh, sit there and uh, wander about <laughs> aimlessly, getting killed over and over again, whether it's by zombies or other survivors. Um, good times, good times were had by all. Yeah, I just like to say other survivors are dicks. <laughs> They're worse than the zombies. Yeah. So it makes it so yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. Actually, it was uh, really funny because the Rooster Teeth podcast, which is another podcast that I listen to avidly, um, they talked about, you know, what if there was an ending for DayZ, uh, like they created an ending for Minecraft? It was that you've got to get, like, 20 other survivors together, and you've got to create, like, a maybe a tent city and find cures or different co- combinations of medicine and try and synthesize a cure and go out and try and distribute it among the people create a method to distribute it whether by like injection or building a giant fan to blow it out to the entire world that'd be interesting yeah i mean i, I definitely think that would be awesome though it would be incredibly hard to do especially in its current iteration as a mod but i think uh dan as you guys mentioned on your last podcast wasn't it wasn't uh um uh, the developer uh, didn't he say that you know I think he works at the company that actually makes Arma the I think it's Bohemian uh, Studios or something like that didn't they say that they're going to actually turn that into an actual full fledged title a la like Left 4 Dead or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah, he works for them and they're trying to spin it off and basically they want to use the Minecraft model where. You pay or you buy it at some point in development, and that gets you access for the rest of time. So it sounds, you know, like 
recently, since the mod blew up, they haven't been doing any development on it except like keeping up with maintaining servers and stuff like that. But you know, they do have big plans for it because it's so popular. Sounds awesome. It sounds like uh, the version two evolution of like Half Life, Counter Strike, and then Left for Dead. That entire series that really made Valve what they are today. So this would be awesome if we could be seeing the the creation of the next Valve here. Yeah, definitely. And, and so... That, oh, you have anything else? So, nope, nope. Sorry. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> um, because we're, oh, God, almost 50 minutes in. We haven't even gotten to anything of our, like, our topics. This is going to go way long. So... Um, Really quickly, before we move completely on, um, I'd just like to say that uh, Alex and I will be going down to Austin, Texas the weekend, the 7th and the 8th of July for RTX. Um, so we'll be covering that for the site. If anybody else from the Wiki Game Guides community is going down there, like to schedule a meetup or something like that, um, definitely can email us. They know how to get in t- contact. And um, also... I remember on your latest Two Chimps, you challenged me on mobile gaming. So here we go. Ding, ding. Yes, I am prepared to defend myself. And the way I see it is, um, I don't know if this came out clearly or not, it's that I'm not opposed to mobile games because they are mobile games, right? So I have on my phone, I have Angry Birds and... Fruit Ninja, Plants with Zombies, and a couple of other, um, you know, basically what I would eventually or people believe me to be hating against. Now, I'm not against them for the sake that they exist. I'm against them because they're basically cannibalizing um, the the hardcore gaming arena. And, I mean, I know you, until uh, you guys have five of the six pictures on the front of your site are mobile games like Angry Birds Universe and Flight Control Rocket 2 and all these things. Until like five or six of them out of six are mobile games, hardcore gaming is still your audience as well. And uh, I'm against it for what it's doing to console games, not necessarily in and of themselves. And I think that was kind of misconstrued. Yeah, so it does sound like we're more on the same page than I initially thought. Um, Based on what you said, it sounds like you're more against the fact that, you know, that there's so much money in these mobile games, or there appears to be, that EA, these big companies that have money, are just looking to make a quick buck instead of looking to make a good product yeah and i'll jump in right there i just remember uh i think this was a video on the uh, escapist website uh in the series uh zero punctuation i remember i think uh yahtzee was talking about i I don't even remember i think he was just talking about mobile games and he was talking about PopCap, how they're this massive developer that exclusively makes these titles and he he was sort of joking you know once you move up into the uh, the seven fi- uh, figure range, you need to stop working on little indie titles and start moving into actual games. And I I almost wonder if there's any way we can set that rule up somehow. 
Right. Like it's like an IPO, right? You have you make enough money in the casual games, then you've got to get into hardcore games. But it's it's what makes me so afraid because we've seen basically we saw corporate warfare between uh, Activision EA talking they had their little back and forth about EA said, "Oh, you know, Activision, all you do is burn uh, franchises into the ground like Call of Duty, Tony Hawk, Guitar Hero." And Bobby Kotick said, yeah, well, guess what? EA beats the shit out of Battlefield and Medal of Honor, so you can shut up. And they went on and on. Bobby Kotick also, you know, says, we're just out here to make money, and therefore it it makes me afraid of that they're just going to neglect us and we're going to see the decline of really comprehensive, good, new IPs, and we're just going to see sequel after sequel without change because they're just going to spit out new copies of the same game, uh, just as basically lip service to us while they really pursue their new cash cow, which is mobile games. That's that's what has me up in arms. Well, uh, would you say that making you know Modern Warfare after Modern Warfare is just as detrimental to hardcore gamers as making mobile games? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're going to talk about this later, but. Uh, I was really heartened to see Ubisoft take a strong stand against this kind of idea um, in their press conference and in the statements they released. Uh, We'll get down there, and that's why I really want them to displace EA and Activision because I think that they really do have the hardcore gamers um, in their mind. And so, uh, E3 extravaganza. Let's... uh, Let's get started on our actual topics about one hour in. Now, this is our E3 analysis podcast, and we have Dan here to supplement our thoughts because he was actually on the ground there, so he probably got different impressions or more to add than we necessarily got from basically watching the press conference or the video or what other people told us through news reports. Um, So the format is that we'll go through each major console manufacturer and then each game publisher's press conference and uh, do a bit of analysis on them. Now, we're going to try and try to fine line here. Obviously, we can't go super in-depth. Otherwise, we'd be here until next week. But we can't necessarily do basically the news because that's, to a large extent, what everyone already knows. So we'll try and uh, take it in comparison to each other and how the companies we think will fare given what they've announced. Now, um, what I should add is that first-party games, like console exclusives, will talk about in terms of the manufacturer's press conference because we feel like they in themselves are a unique selling point of the consoles. So, with that all being said, with the rules set, let's start with our first victim, Nintendo. Now, I feel like, this is from my point of view uh, going in, that the onus was squarely on them to make the same impression as they did with the original Wii, to make everyone's heads turn and create a completely new paradigm. Now, obviously, that was completely misplaced hope. Uh, They could not have fallen farther off the mark with basically traditional Nintendo um, fashion. They're really stubborn. It's the same old slew of franchises again. And what really was stunning to me is that nothing else was really revealed 
since they announced it last year. It was basically the same press conference um, recycled, and uh, it was especially baffling to me. I was following along as best I could. I was in New Orleans that week, but I heard that they said, we're going to have four press conferences because we've got so much to tell you guys that we can't possibly fit it all into one. And then the first half of each of the press conferences was them telling us how they had so much to say and they had to split it all up and then proceeded to kind of uh, bumble about and not really establish anything uh, substantive. Uh, Dan, is that the same feeling that you got? Yeah. Um, this So I was at this one and it was – it kind of blew me away when, you know, all these companies – that do press conferences kind of do something best for last. We'll save the best for last. And they saved uh, like a mini game collection for last. And after it ended, I just looked around and I'm like, is this, is that it? <laughs> really? Uh, okay. I think the Nintendo's in trouble this time. And the other thing I took away was Ubisoft had a stronger launch lineup than Nintendo for their own console, which should not happen. Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually going to put this down in the Ubisoft uh, category, but I guess I'll move it up here because uh, Ubisoft was really trying to spread out their bets and try and be a premier launch partner for the Wii U, and uh, Nintendo really didn't meet them halfway for that. Ubisoft is coming up with these interesting ideas like porting Assassin's Creed 3 over to the to the Wii U and uh, Zombie U, so trying their best to really um, differentiate it, make some uh, good IP kind of more to the hardcore audience, Um, and uh, I felt like Nintendo didn't uh, match them with that. The the graphics really just, they took it up to what the current generation has, what the 360 and the PS3 already have, which, uh, which given what we have seen with Ubisoft's other title, Watch Dogs. I mean, it makes the Wii U look absolutely pathetic. I think you'll agree. Yeah, and I mean, uh, what we saw here, really what I took away from it, is that Nintendo is purely and entirely a gaming company. I I mean, Simon and I have harped time and time again on this podcast about how this generation of consoles are more than really gaming devices there, really home media centers. And, I I mean, with the Wii U, I, I don't think that could be any f- farther from what it actually is. Like, it, it, this is not a, a home media device. This is just a gaming thing. I, and, I mean, if they're trying to keep up with the next version of the Xbox, the next version of the PlayStation, then, I mean, they're already shooting themselves in the foot before these devices have even been announced because they're not even matching what the current devices can do. I mean, they don't have DVD and Blu-ray capabilities, and I mean, I, I think there is some way you can somehow get Netflix on there, like with a disc or something like that. But it's incredibly, incredibly limited functionality, and they're not anywhere near the amount of content providers that Sony has, let alone Microsoft. I think it's like one or two at the most, probably zero. DVDs and Blu-rays still can't be played on it. That's the most baseline, you know, this is this is your baseline for entertainment, right? You want to be able to play digital media. You can't even do DVDs and Blu-rays. And I don't think there are any other entertainment options. 
And I think that just like the DS, the Wii U will be hurt by being a singular purpose device. No one has the money for that anymore, you know? And the market really has showed it because Nintendo's stock price has dropped by half. Like, it has been halved since they announced the Wii U. There's no confidence in that. And I really hope they're looking at another major uh, player in a different field that has gone really down the same flushing toilet in a completely uh, different segment, and that is RIM with BlackBerry. If you think about it, these two companies have more in common than uh, than they do different. They're, they both were once kings of their respective industries, but they were way too stubborn. They had uh, CEOs and leadership that refused to accept the changes that were coming, and they're both slowly paying the price for that. I mean, Nintendo posted its first annual loss. Now, RIM is obviously a lot further along in this death spiral. And uh, I think Nintendo would do well to see, because they're like one or two years behind RIM in this death cycle. And they should really look at what RIM is, what's happening to RIM right now and say, you know what, that's what we want to not be. We have got to fix this. Now, they did launch the Miiverse thing, which I think is finally the smallest and most kind of lip service of conciliatory gestures. It's like, yeah, we're going to make this social network that you can access kind of on other devices, and uh, that's about it. I really don't know how that's how well that's going to do. We obviously saw that Facebook, if you have a social network, it pales in comparison to Facebook. We saw Google Plus kind of uh, have a lot of interest but then fizzle out a little bit in, in recent weeks. And so seeing this half-hearted attempt, Google was really trying to throw all, leverage all their properties into Google Plus and it still couldn't match up to Facebook. To see Nintendo will probably know what they do, their little half-hearted attempt, it, it's going to fall completely flat, I think. Yeah, this uh, this whole thing with the Wii U versus the Wii is with the Wii they had this totally new motion thing that no no one had seen or done. So you know it blew up on Oprah and Ellen and all that stuff, and they decided to stick with last gen graphics, you know, to keep it at a cheap price point, and the people that they're aiming for don't care about graphics. With this Wii U. Their new feature is not new. Um, basically, if you have an Apple TV and an iPad and then Xbox with this smart glass thing or a PlayStation and a Vita, I don't know, it's it's nothing new this time. And they're taking the same route of being one generation behind in graphics. So that's not going to win over any hardcore fans. So I think what you know, they're trying to do is sell to the people who bought the Wii. And I think the people who bought the Wii bought it for the gimmick. And I don't think this gimmick, you know, this gimmick already already exists. So I think they're going to have a really tough time. And, you know, their strength is their software. And I don't know how profitable hardware is versus software, but I think it's, this might be the year that Nintendo goes the Sega route and just becomes a software company or the next generation after this Wii U. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, it is pretty hard to try and sell a one-trick pony twice. But, I mean, 
it, it is kind of ridiculous when you look at it because the Wii U has – they've already had the price released on Amazon uh, UK or whatever, and they're pricing it at 200 pounds. That converts to about $310, which when you consider the fact that the 4-gigabyte Xbox that's bundled in with a Kinect that has all this functionality already included in it – I mean if you get Xbox Live, you have – ESPN 24-7 now, you have Netflix, you have Hulu Plus, you have all kinds of streaming services as well as the fact that you can actually play DVDs and, oh, I forgot the fact you can actually play games with decent graphics. All of that is included in a package for $280. I mean, this is a device which is, at least in name, a generation behind and yet by all accounts seems to be better on all fronts. Yeah, it's and it the Wii U costing more. This is absolutely ludicrous. But to make this to make the Nintendo the Wii U gamepad with the tablet screen in the middle, it's costing them a lot to do so. And really, I have no idea how they're going to make all this work. It's just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, consoles are and have always been lost leaders. I mean, they always make it up on the software. To, I mean, to to your point, Dan, but. I, I I think they're they're digging themselves in a hole that is going to be incredibly difficult to get out of. I mean, you would have to sell a ton of games. I, I mean, a lot of times to try and get anywhere near a decent profit. Now, what I think I see here is finally the uh, idea, the concept of Nintendo as a pure gaming business. Uh, it's it's coming back to bite them because if we look at the other two main competitors, Sony and Microsoft. Sony and Microsoft are huge, huge corporations with businesses in 50 other different categories. Sony has computers. Sony has TVs, tablets, you know, media. They have an entire movie uh, production business, Sony Columbia or Sony Entertainment and whatever. Uh, Microsoft, obviously, you know, you got Windows, Office, uh, being like server, enterprise, blah, 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 generating billions of dollars in profits. That way, the PS3 and the Xbox, Xbox in particular, were able to take horrendous losses. Xbox didn't make money forever, yet they just kept pumping money into it because they could, because they could take money from other areas of the you know their respective kingdoms to keep funding it, keep propping it up, make it eventually succeed. Nintendo doesn't have that luxury. This is it for them, you know? Gaming is it. And if they have to be a lost leader, it's going to hurt them directly. Hey, I mean, you look at it now, I mean, what, Microsoft is how many years into this console generation? What is this, seven years at this point? I mean, they've had to put in a ton of money over that amount of time, but, I mean, it's finally coming back and paying off because now the Xbox is so much more successful than any other console. I mean, they're, they're still selling these devices. Like, there's still an upward trend in, like, growth of sales. But without the outside resources to be able to pump in the, the pure capital to keep it afloat, I don't, I don't think something like Nintendo, where they don't have those outside resources, I don't think they can do the same thing. Yep, and it's also worth remembering that the Wii had the original Wii, has one of the lowest use rates and the lowest game buy rates of any console in history. So that is to say, you know, people buy the Wii and uh, they see it, oh, the demo looks so awesome. They buy it, it's bundled with two or three games, they just play those over and over. It's probably some Mario Kart, 
and Wii Sports, right? And also, the lowest use rates. Most people bought the Wii, played it a couple of times, never played it again. Maybe play it when there's a party, some relatives come and say, ooh, that looks awesome. Then they uh, put it away and it gathers dust again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, uh, that was one of the, the key things about the low price point for the Wii was that it was low enough that you could sort of explain it away as, uh, you know, you, you could buy it on a whim and not feel that bad about yourself if you didn't use it that much. I mean, like a, 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 a an Xbox or a PlayStation, especially a PlayStation 3 when it first came out, that's not you know an investment that you can just make you know out of the blue and just totally justify it yourself if you're not using it but uh, i mean a Wii you with the new much higher price point they're not going to be able to match that same i guess six, i don't know do you, i don't know if you can call it a success rate in terms of sales since no one's using it and they're not buying games after it but i don't think they can even recreate what they've already done uh in this next generation yep so dan if you've got any closing thoughts uh, not on Nintendo. All right, so in that case, we will move on to Sony. Now, Sony disappointed a lot less, that's for sure. Um, I still think, you know, as uh, kind of ignorant and, and naive as I am, I still think they could have taken a solid lead this year if they did something with the PS4. Obviously, uh, Kazuo Harai, who is the uh, new CEO of Sony, said they weren't going to do anything regarding the PS4 coming into this. Um so, you know, they kind of pre-disappointed on that front for me. But uh, there were a bunch of interesting uh, and unique titles, right? They had The Last of Us, which is that Naughty Dog game, as well as the new God of War. Yeah, I mean, I, I, at least for The Last of Us, I remember I was just sort of surfing the Internet, and I just happened to land upon this video for this cool new game. And I watched it, and I'm like, this is amazing, and I, I immediately sent the link to Simon, and we started talking about it, but I'm, I'm actually, this might be one of those games where I'm actually disappointed I don't have a PlayStation, because I, I, I want to play that game, it looks fun, it, I mean, Naughty Dog did a, an excellent job with that trailer, and just sort of in presenting it so far. Uh, so Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the one where you watched it in your hotel room? While drinking beer? And that was Microsoft. Oh, that was Microsoft? Oh, no. Oh, I thought that, Microsoft no. was Microsoft, the one you watched at the Kroger. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, this one we watched on the iPhone in our horrible little hotel room. But, um, you know, we did get to see some of the other stuff, like, uh, at their booth. And uh, Last of Us was definitely one of the top standouts of the entire show. You know, it... Those Uncharted games were super awesome, like, graphically. I don't know if it's, like, the best graphics, but the art and the colors in those games are just phenomenal. And this looks like it's kind of similar, I guess a little more drab since it's, like, apocalyptic. But the whole idea of, you know, every bullet you have is so important. Uh, You don't see that a lot these days in... Very excited for that. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of the same feeling with uh, with Daisy, where you're just you know scavenging for resources and not using them if you can help it, and just sort of hoarding everything because it is just that valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we ha- this was I think I we could sex- safely call it the e- this E3 the year of the second screens, where each of them each of the three big manufacturers introduced their idea of the second screen. 
Obviously, the Wii U is the tightest on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nintendo obviously just wants you to use their controller and only their controller, their second screen, uh, for the game experience. Sony is a little looser with that. Obviously, they're letting you use the Vita, and also they uh, they're letting you um, use Veo computers. In fact, there's going to be an update for Veo computers. Uh, maybe it's already out that allows you to use your computer as a second uh, screen keyboard remote control for your PlayStation. Um, still tighter than Microsoft, who said, "You know what? You can use." anything you got all right we'll just let you use whatever and uh, as a second screen i mean microsoft does sort of have a bit of a precedent though before this in the same thing where you could already use your uh windows computer in a a little a little bit with your xbox because i mean obviously you can stream content using the windows media center that uh, was included in vista and windows 7 but I, I mean, I definitely think with the uh, the new the new smart glass, they did try and tighten it up a little bit. But yeah, yeah, we'll get to that with Microsoft, which is up next. But uh, I want to get Dan. I want to get your feelings on that Wonder Book thing with the uh, J.K. Rowling and the basically that integrated with Move. But Move was barely mentioned as a part of it. What did you take away from that? Was that just uh, more of a kids thing? Yeah, it was a big mistake is what it was. Um, they spent way too much time on it. Like, it didn't look cool. Um, I have no interest in it. And uh, at the Gree party, the Gree after party, I was talking to Wombat from the CAD cast. And since he's, you know, he's got a little girl and a little boy, and I said, is this cool for kids? Because I don't, it looks dumb. And he said, no, it's dumb. So, um I think this is kind of their move of 2012. Like it's something they spent too much time on, didn't, and they're not going to talk about it next year. And then, you yeah, know. I I was watching the press conference. There was uh, as the as the Wonder Book, they went on and on about the spells and the turning the pages and kind of the augmented reality part of it. You could just start to see. They, they panned out to a shot of the audience. You could see more and more phone and tablet screens come up as, you know, all these people, all these journalists started checking their Twitter, seeing what else was going on because they just they just didn't care. It's It, it wasn't something that, that a- appeals to these people. And, okay, obviously I wasn't a parent. I thought it might have appealed in some base level to kids, but obviously if you cited that precedent that even the parents – with the kids aren't even that excited about it, then, well, here we go. This is a flop um, mm-hmm. in, about to happen. And that brings me to the second point, which was that there was very little on Move this year. Um, and so I feel like they're already, Sony is already trying to distance themselves uh, from it because it, uh, it did pretty poorly. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sony trying to branch out with mobile gaming with uh, the partnership they signed with HTC, which is the PlayStation certified partnership. Um, I feel like it's it's better than just the Xperia Play, which was the uh, that dedicated gaming phone on Verizon, which Engadget just rated one of the worst buys on Verizon that you could ever make. Um, so obviously... Uh, I'm going to dip into the smartphone uh, section of the podcast just a little bit here. But Samsung has really 
been doing a number on HTC in terms of smartphones, and particularly where it counts, Android smartphones. Samsung, it's really now like a two-horse race in that term, in that segment. It's Samsung and Apple battling out Galaxy line versus iPhone line. HTC caught fire uh, a few years ago, really you know, took off, was one of the first Android partners, was a big Windows Mobile partner back when that was cool, and uh, and they've really fallen by the wayside now. I feel like this is too... If we combine enough underdogs, does that make it work? What, HTC and Samsung versus Apple? I know, HTC and Sony trying to you know, consolidate all the underdogs of the Android market. Um, I don't know. I think it's all about the software at this point. Um, the, the hardware I think is reaching an upper limit. Um, you know, we're close to having quad core processors and phones like 720p screens, all this stuff. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, if Sony can get their, uh, games onto Android, I think that's where successes i don't think it's you know partnering with a hardware company that's gonna you know so um blow it away right so if if it's about the software the uh the games that are coming to it are uh ps1 games now is there a whole lot of appeal are the people that played the ps1 have these smartphones now and are gonna remember yeah i remember final fantasy i want to play it (laughs) on my smartphone is that is that what they're really going for? Is that really going to work at this point? I don't think so. I think it's uh, they should be going more of the smart glass way and integrating current games into the phone, not these ancient games. I mean, you know, they have nostalgia, but I don't think they're product selling games. I mean, yeah. I mean, the issue with nostalgia is that it's different for everyone. Like everybody has. There, you know, one or two games they remember from way back when that, oh, you know, that was one of the best games of all time or what have you, and so they would have to start bringing a ton of stuff over. And even if they do that, I mean, we still are at that same issue we're talking about that these are all PlayStation One games. We're not getting into these like these next gen games on a phone. I also want to pose this question, or basically draw a sharp contrast between Sony and Microsoft here. Uh, so uh, Microsoft obviously has their Xbox Live initiative on Windows Phone and now Windows 8 as well, um, where you can get achievements, you can view everything like that on uh, on your basically mobile device. Sony has indi- has no indication that they're going to do the same. Will I when I play Final Fantasy on my HTC One X? Will I get trophies? Will I be able to see what my friends on PSN are doing? Will I be able to check my account, see my messages on PSN? You know, is there going to be a separate app store for this? Because the Android app store is such a mess. You know, the fragmentation is horrendous. Is there going to be a separate app store? The logistics behind this are just a nightmare. I don't see how it could work. Microsoft is much more, much tighter and more compelling in its uh, case here. And I, I mean, I, I we're we're just about to get into the Microsoft section, so I feel sort of confident using this as. I guess the beginning of a transition, but I, I'm definitely a, a much bigger fan of, I guess, the way Microsoft is doing it, where they're using the smartphone more as an accessory to the console versus trying to make, like, a second console. Because I think when you use the two together, 
it can add to the experience of the one and make it a better overall thing. But when you're trying to create two, I guess, separate sort of experiences and trying to make them both good, I, I, I think you're going to at least mess up on one of them. And so I just I, I like the way Microsoft is doing it, where you know you can use it as a way to check stats or to send a message on an Xbox. I know uh, Dan, you guys were talking on the last uh, two chimps about how you can't do anything on Facebook on an Xbox because you can't type. Well, I mean, this is one way that you can type. Like you can send messages on Xbox Live using your phone, and so I mean, I think that is one of the the cool ways that they're integrating it. So transitioning fully to Microsoft now, um, the base, the background info is that they came into E3 as the defending champion uh, because they have close to they're nearing fifty percent market share in the they've been the top seller the past sixteen months. That's pretty impressive. They're they're constantly adding new services. Really, a lot of pundits and uh, journalists noted that this was more of a entertainment services press conference than it was even particularly a gaming press conference for Microsoft. And they're just adding more functionality and creating more incentives to uh, sell the Xbox. Like, for example, this new promotion where uh, students uh, can buy a PC costing like $700. Not a whole lot for a PC. That's pretty basic budget. And you get a free Xbox with it, four gigabyte. Um, so they're definitely the ones to beat in this race, especially this year. Now, Smart Glass. Um, I don't know how much you saw from uh, the Kroger. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, it's basically an extension and rebranding and broadening of the Xbox Companion app, which was, which is available now for Windows Phone and uh, coming for Windows Eight. Uh, I actually even just as recently as this afternoon, I was using the Xbox Companion app. I was using the ESPN app on uh, Xbox Live. I was watching the Euro 2012 Spain versus France game. Uh, the doorbell rang, and I had to pause it. Uh, I was using the Xbox Companion app. There was a neat remote control. Just press pl- uh, pr- press pause, you know, pause, and then I could come back, press play again. It was that, that simple didn't need the controller at all and i mean as i was saying simon like those are the things i'm talking about where you add to the experience of the one and you you make it a really a superior overall experience versus dividing up well you know oh well this was fun over here and then this was fun here so you have two things that you know were were kind of fun we're kind of good but you know when you put them together you have this one thing that was awesome and i just i think that just works better overall yep I feel like Smart Glass is much more likely to succeed than the Vita or Nintendo's own proprietary system because they're utilizing the screen that the second screen that everyone already has. Your your Android, your iOS, your Windows tablet or smartphone. Pretty much everyone has got one at this point and if you've got the app, probably be free or like, you know, maybe a nominal cost like 99 cents. Um It'll make it so easy for you just to just to do that. You don't have to buy a Vita. You don't have to buy another one of those godforsaken giant uh, Wii Pad controllers. And um, that, and I was just thinking about that in terms of how it could fit in as a secondary uh, support part of games. Uh, I was thinking back to Saints Row Three 
Um, and if you remember, the basically the menu distribution and like the way you got missions and kind of managed the whole thing was you pulled out a smartphone on screen. Now I was thinking, what if that paused the game, but on your smartphone, there's actually the interface to do like missions and assignments and things. That would be so immersive, right? It'd basically be like this custom little app experience that they built and it's appearing on your smartphone or your tablet and it's fully interactive. You use that. Um, maybe even looks like the operating system you're using. I think that's a that, that would be a great way to approach it. I totally agree with you there. Um, I was thinking the same thing, but in terms of like Dead Space, you know, you pick up one of those data pads and it pops up on your tablet, or you know, it has those um, little movies that people recorded before they got eaten by necromorphs or whatever, and that would play on your tablet, and you can just you know, keep playing the game. Um, mm-hmm. Same, yeah, same thing like Mass Effect. Those data pads you pick up display some text on the screen. Maybe uh, it causes your phone to vibrate. It's like a uh, message received from the data pad, and you read it on on the screen of your tablet or smartphone, mm-hmm. whatever it would should have been displayed on the screen. Yeah, I know. One of the, like the cool things that they did in Mass Effect is, depending on how you resolve certain aspects of the story, you might get emails from somebody you saved or uh, an email from the family of someone you didn't or something like that. And I think it'd be cool if, you know, you're just playing, you're going through some mission completely unrelated and your phone just buzzed and you got an email from somebody in game. I just, I, I think that would be neat. And like you said, Simon, just another way to make it more immersive. Yeah. If it was, if it was designed in the way that the OS looked like if you're on iOS, you just got the push notification, the little message in the center of the screen. It's like, you got a message from Samantha Trainer or from uh, you know from the Elusive Man, something like that. That'd be that'd be really fascinating to uh, see and a lot more immersive, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'd love to see them take it one step further in that you know have game content accessible while you're not running the console. So say you know you're using cloud saves and you're playing. Mass, the new Mass Effect, and you turn off the game, and you go take a crap, and you can go mine for minerals while you're sitting there. Like, you know, when you're playing the console game, you don't always want to mine for minerals, but when you're going to the bathroom, it might not be so bad. Yeah, uh, things like that. Um, there's one game for Windows Phone. It's Fable Coin Golf. Uh, you play those. It's a series of little mini games optimized for mobile. But it actually gets you coins for when you actually go and play Fable, the uh, full Xbox game. So we've seen kind of a rudimentary implementation of what this is, but I definitely can see um, more services like that, more tie-ins. Basically, that's the only one we've got there. There's maybe Halo Waypoint. That's kind of more of a logistical back-end thing. Um, but yeah, there's so much potential to be expanded here. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think in the, if not much more so in this console generation, I definitely think this will start to be, I guess this, you could call it the standard in the next console generation. Just, I mean, just the way things are moving, both with smartphones and tablets, as well as with with uh, what we believe consoles are going to be like. I just think that's going to be something that'll be so easy and so uh, innovative that I mean, there's no way they can't do it. So, um, but one issue with all those sort of things like this, the whole second screen discussion is 
how is this going to be a uniform experience across all of your devices? Because, I mean, you think about it, it can't be the same on a tablet as it can be on a smartphone. And even on a smartphone, if you've got you know a high-end smartphone versus uh, a really crappy sort of entry-level smartphone, they're not going to be able to do the same things. And that's, I mean, th- that's sort of the reason why, at least for myself, I think it should be used more in the sort of accessory way, Simon, that you were talking about, where like you can use it as a controller and pause, or you can use it to view messages versus Sony's attempt to like use it as a way to play games, I think, especially because Sony is using it on Android, which is probably the most fragmented of the OSs. I, just, I, I think that's just that's going to be difficult for them to standardize. And I mean, Microsoft has definitely made a huge attempt to standardize all of their devices uh, as far as phones and tablets go to try and avoid this problem. But I mean, I think even still, they're going to run into some of these issues. Yeah, and obviously, I don't think we need to belabor the point now at this point that Xbox got even more entertainment services. They announced a bunch more. I think, Alex, you mentioned a couple of them, ESPN 24-7 Live, um, just just a ton more services, uh, adding to their already impressive array, really taking the lead. But, I mean, that's not to, not to take away from Sony, who has also added a couple of things. Like, I think they're finally have hulu plus on the playstation 3 now i think they also finally added uh crackle which is a a sony exclusive media service which i'm actually kind of surprised wasn't on there before because actually i have a uh, a roku for a a tv in my house and it's sort of just like one of those little boxes that that you can use to uh stream things and it's it's uses the whole sony interface and so it, it has crackle so i have some experience using that before but when I saw the headline that that's just now being added to the PlayStation, I was actually pretty surprised because it, it just seems strange to me that Sony wouldn't put something they own onto their own device. Yeah. <clears throat> now, this is something I would like for uh, you to talk about, Dan, this uh, announcement for Internet Explorer on the Xbox. I mean, you guys, as running a website... How do you feel about Wiki Game Guides, you know, being on people's 55-inch TVs? People probably what I feel like this is for is you're not going to read, you know, the New York Times or anything on it. It's really for an easier way to get at media uh, that's embedded in web pages and the like. So I could envision a way where maybe on the next console generation, possibly with another update, I'm not sure if there's some kind of multitasking where – you could go to IE, go to wikigameguides.com on your uh, internet Xbox Internet Explorer, uh, watch watch the walkthrough for like veteran on Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4, and then flip back to the game and uh, follow you know John's strategy for how to get through this vehicle section. And I, I definitely think that will be interesting. But one thing I'll, I'll say before Dan sort of takes it away is if. This is really going to catch fire, I think, if not with the remaining time that Xbox has left in its current generation. In the next console generation, chat pads need to come standard. Because, I mean, that's an accessory right now that it's, what, it's like 20 30 40 bucks, something like that, where it's not something you're just going to buy just on a, on a whim, like you have to really have need for it. And, I mean, it's this is something that is going to have to as I said, come standard if this is going to take fire because you're not going to take the time to use the the analog sticks to type out a web address. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's too little, too late. I mean, Sony had a browser right off the bat, and a browser comes in handy sometimes, I guess, if you're uh, you know gaming on a console. But I think it's almost uh, the Xbox is more similar to smartphones, where you're using the app for a website more than you're using the website. Like, you know, on the iPhone, you can get the IMDB app instead of going to imdb.com. And I think if you're going to go uh, look at our walkthrough, you would be better off using the YouTube app. I think it would be a hassle trying to use the Internet Explorer, and I don't know. It it just doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, as a website, uh, running a website is probably, i.e. is notorious for compatibility issues, difficulty, loading, poor synthetic benchmark scores, etc., etc. No reason to open that can of worms on a platform that by all means should be isolated, right? So Hmm. probably not a good thing to release IE on Xbox and then have it become the number one reason that Xbox crashes spiked in the week following. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... Uh, Xbox announced a plethora of exclusive titles. That's the new Fable, new Halo 4, new Dance Central, Gears prequel, uh, and uh, Forza. Um, Do you make anything of those? Uh, I mean, they basically released new iterations of almost every single exclusive title they have. I feel like it was a concerted barrage to try and really take the steam out of uh, the Wii U. It's like, hey, you got this new console generation? Guess what? All these exclusives we're showing off now, you can only get with Xbox right here, right now, and they're really good, so you should buy an Xbox, not a Wii U. Yeah, I would say that I would have liked to see some new IPs from Microsoft, but everything they're coming out with, you know what you're getting. It's going to be good. You know, they're all going to be great games, I'm sure. It's just, you know, are you willing to shell out another 60 bucks for the same thing? And most likely the answer is yes, if it's like Halo 4 or Gears. Um, I don't know about Dance Central, though. <laughs> uh, well, not enough Usher fans are hardcore Xbox players? What are you talking about, Dan? <laughs> uh, I'm more of a Flow Rider. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, so. Flow Rider, yeah. Not, not Flow Rider. I had no idea who that guy was when he came on the Ubisoft stage. Yeah. So will uh, will Usher be there with his with his bitch Justin Bieber? Oh God! If Justin Bieber is in the new Dance Central, vetoing that game. But I mean, yeah, especially when you look at I think I think of all those exclusives. I mean, it's pretty obvious Halo Four was the biggest one, the most anticipated one. And I just I thought it was interesting going back to uh, our discussion on live action trailers. We saw this, again, at least sort of partially. You saw the um, the beginning when they're showing the collected crew of the uh, UNSC Infinity standing there, and then they sort of switched over to CGI and some gameplay that, uh, once again, they're just sort of using it to drum up excitement. But, I mean, Daniel, you're talking about before where it's just going to be sort of more of the same, and it's just sort of repeating the same formula. I think to a certain degree, 343 Industries, is kind of doing that, but I think there are a couple of new things like the uh, the whole Spartan Ops, which we talked about before. I mean, I think that that seems cool, and some of the new 
uh, gameplay features. Like I know Sprint is standard, and they just they do a couple of other things where they just like they tweak it like that, where they're adding some new things, but they're keeping the same sort of Halo feel and the same general Halo formula. That I think they're going to be able to appeal to the same sort of large audience that they've always appealed to, and that way they can keep the fans who might have been turned off a little bit by you know Bungie not being there but they can still put out a game that is very much their own. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like Reach added some new, like, you know, they added the jetpacks and stuff. And I think, you know, you can add those new things, but I don't, you know, you're not going to get a new audience, but you're, yeah, it is going to be enough new to, you know, justify picking up the new game. And I, I don't I don't think 343 is going to screw it up, but I don't think they're going to set the bar. You know, they're not going to set the bar to the next level. And uh, did you ever get a chance to have a hands-on or kind of a behind-the-scenes with Halo 4 personally? At the- no. No, we didn't. Uh, we didn't see Halo 4 or Gears. They both had insanely long lines. Okay, so I guess that's another thing we'll try and. Uh, snab at RTX, but uh, again, I guess the same thing might apply. Could be just insanely long lines, people just wanting to go over and over again. We'll we'll see what we can do about that. I do want to make one more point about the future or uh, prediction. Um, so we've got these three console manufacturers all vying for the top spot of the next generation, and you know if my dream comes true that there will be two new players in the next generation, and that will be Apple and Steam. Um, I think Apple's supposedly releasing an Apple TV, an actual TV, in 2013, and I've read a rumor that it's going to come with a game controller, and if that was true, um, I think they would be a huge player in the next market. And then, obviously, a Steam box would be awesome. What do you guys think about that? Oh, yeah. Um Alex is much more of a Steam user than me. He can probably comment on that. Yeah, no, I think Steam... Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm almost of two minds in it because Steam, to me, at this point, is just is so iconic for PC gaming. It's almost almost one and the same at, at this point because they're just they're so expansive and just so present in that culture that I almost wonder how successful a, a console from them would be. Just because, I mean, their their big audience are the PC gamers. There's there's hardcore people, and to move away to a, a console where you're not upgrading as much. I mean, I, I'm, I, I think it'd be very interesting, but I'm not sure how well it would do. As far as the Apple uh, TV is concerned, I'm having a really hard time reconciling kind of the people who use Apple products. I mean, obviously, present company excluded, Dan, you're a hardcore gamer, and as we saw from the last two chimps, an avid Mac fan, mm-hmm. the best, but it costs <laughs> a lot. I know, but it's the best, but I don't want to pay, you know, that that conversation, I got a little confused on where that was going, but it, it was really hard to see these people, um, like, who live in Greenwich Village and ride a bicycle and have, you know, renewable, composted, like, material shirts, 
really get into the nitty gritty of kind of the gaming world, like what would the portfolio be? Would it be just an extension of what we see the games we see on Apple's App Store? Would it just be the casual games there, or are they actually going to make a concerted effort to? try and get uh, some of the hardcore crowd it's really hard to say and if so how are the uh, controller going to be reconciled with the fact that these games are touch and then adding to that there is the rumor that was vehemently denied that you know gabe newell and some other guys met with uh cookie monster up in cupertino yeah um as far as the hardcore games on an apple system I would say, you know, if if they're smart, which they seem to be, uh, that they would fully embrace, you know, the next generation of console-type games. Um, you know, they, they've got the music industry, they've got the movie industry. It's obvious that they're interested in digital media, and I think the gaming industry is kind of the last frontier for them. Uh, it's pretty much the only thing I can think of they're not successful in i mean to the extent that microsoft is you, you know they they dominate the portable uh gaming scene but i think that you know with the fact that games make more than the box office these days is you know apple's looking at that you know with money signs in their eyes and i would love to see them try i mean they've got a better pricing system than Microsoft. Uh, you know, they've got the updates. Like if you have iOS and your game gets an update, it's, I, I just feel, you know, you can get updates more often and easier than on the Xbox. It seems you get like two updates for the life of your game or, you know, Microsoft is so restrictive in that way. I think that, both uh, Steam and Apple can destroy them in the pricing and updates. Well, I mean, ju- just to be fair, just to I mean, point out as far as updates with Apple go, almost, I mean, all of those games, those are all, on the smartphone, those are all, like, casual games. So that's, that's much easier to update than a, a mainstream game. I just figured I'd point that out. Yeah, and... Uh... Although they're more easy to update, they also have the infrastructure for DLC. Like, there's these free-to-play games, and Apple has tons of in-app purchases. Like, I would say if you look at the, you know, top-grossing games, the top five are like free games that you just have in-app purchases for, and you don't see that at all on Microsoft. There are no free-to-play games where you just spend money in the game. Uh, so that I think that there's a you know there's definitely a window for someone to come in and do it better than Microsoft. Well, there's something else that I want to throw in here, and it's something we see very, very prevalent throughout the tech industry, and it's something there's a unique angle that I don't think a lot of people are focusing on this point, most likely because the product hasn't been released, but that is litigation lawsuits, patents, I can immediately see Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, the moment they try to get in Apple, if they try to get into this market at all, you know, Sony probably will hit them on the TV front with something, 
Microsoft will hit them on the console version, uh, you know, the console side with something. And if you see all patent lawsuits, it's like really vague descriptions of things like a way to navigate something while clicking on this, which connects to an online service. Like patents are that vague that, you know, all these product bans and uh, moratoriums are decided on. Like Motorola somehow through smartphone patents managed to get a ruling that the Xbox 360 uh, imports should be banned. Now, I think the uh, Congress even, several congressmen even said that that would be a competitive disadvantage and that the ITC should not let that ruling stand. Uh, but that's a whole other uh, deal. Like focusing on this current issue, I think that's something that Apple as a both a recipient and a propagator of a ton of patent lawsuits is going to be very watchful of and very mindful of. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really know much about that. Um, so uh, that's that's basically it on that front. Um, now, I guess that was a long tangent, but we'll move to the software, <laughs> the software publishers. Uh, we'll start with EA. Now they had. Uh, sequel, 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 and uh, more sequel, reboots, more series. Not really a whole lot of unique things. There's like Medal of Honor Warfighter, Crisis 3, Dead Space 3, Need for Speed, Most Wanted, and of course your regular slew of all the FIFA, I mean not FIFA, all the EA sports updates, most notably Madden and FIFA. So we'll take those one by one. Uh, Medal of Honor Warfighter. I uh, I watched the gameplay demos and the basically the intros that they showed. N- it looked absolutely no different from Modern Warfare Three. You know the story could have been pretty much drummed up as the same thing. Could have been Modern Warfare Four by all accounts. Really, what I feel like is EA should cut their losses and really make one offering that competes with Call of Duty Battlefield. You know, using that amazing Frostbite physics engine uh, to say, this is what we have to fight Call of Duty. We don't, we're don't. we not going to divide it amongst Medal of Honor, which has already been a failed franchise, so they had to reboot it, between Medal of Honor, Bad Company, which is like a subset of Battlefield, and then Battlefield proper. I think they should basically... Uh, cut their losses and say, this is going to be our challenger. This is going to be our champion in that arena. And then uh, there's Crisis 3, which basically we talked about earlier, in, I think in the first Comcast of all of them, uh, which is just, again, graphics. Graphics, graphics, graphics. Yeah, it just, it looks pretty just going around. I mean, it almost like, it's to the point where it just, it feels pretty. Just playing that game, it's just going to be immersive just visually i mean there there are certainly some things that they're adding that will separate it from crisis 2 but i mean obviously this is just this is a continuation of a popular you know first person shooter series and i mean there's not much you're gonna expect to see out of it other than really updated graphics and maybe a new game feature or two well, I'd just like to say that my trailer viewing went as follows. It went Medal of Honor, then Crisis 3, then straight back to Medal of Honor because I really wanted to compare the graphics because 
I felt like there was a stark difference, and then when I compare them side by side, I mean, it becomes so painfully obvious that Medal of Honor just, you know, look, the graphics are not nearly in the same level, or even in the same level as Battlefront 3, uh, and that's why I, you know, said those things that I said previously. Um, but the next one is one that really stands out, and I feel like they're taking this franchise in a whole different direction with this one. Uh, Dan, you can probably comment on it a lot mm-hmm. more, having you know basically played Dead Space one and two on hardest difficulties and uh, such. As well as I think I think you guys said you uh, stood in line for this one at E three. But I mean, yeah, we're yeah. alluding to it without saying what it is. It's, I mean, it's obviously it's Dead Space three, and so I mean this is going to be new and. I mean, in a completely different way from the previous games, it's going to have a, a co-op style of play. That I mean, it's going to. I mean, as you guys talked about on the, on the last on your last podcast, it's going to be much harder to be a, sort of a survival horror sort of game where you're afraid of shit popping out at you from like every direction when you've got a dude walking next to you who can watch your back or you know cover you and stuff like that. And so, uh, I mean. I wonder if this is just a continuation of the series shift away from horror to sort of action. I would say that it's just adding to the Dead Space experience, not changing it. Um, From what I saw, the single player, if you just play by yourself, it it seemed similar to Dead Space 2. And I think by adding this co-op, you're going to want to play the game at, you know, once alone. You're going to play it once with your friend. And then hopefully I would love to see them do that, uh, I forget what they called it, like the insane mode where you can't die. Was that like hardcore mode or something like that? Yeah. And if they did that where, you know, there's an insane mode for uh, single player and a different insane mode for co-op, you know, you can really... You Kick up the replay. Yeah, I mean you've got game. four playthroughs right there, and I mean if you're looking at a, sort of an average uh, single player game, you're looking at you know twelve, fifteen something hours with that game. You're looking at you know a decent amount of playthrough for just this one game. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they they did something really different where it's not just your normal run of the mill, drop in, drop out. There's another guy next to you. It's it's a whole different paradigm that. There will be different and unique story content and kind of discussions and interactions you have with people when you're in co-op versus when you're in single player. That also will add replayability because you'll want to experience that additional story. Yeah, I mean it's like, it's like having two games in one in a way. I mean it's they're obviously they're both within the same realm. It's the same gameplay type of things, but it as far as the story goes, it's it really is. It's like having two in one. I think this is awesome that they're doing this. Um, it's a great use of resources. Like, you got games like Bioshock 2 where they just tack on this horrible multiplayer just for the sake of saying they have multiplayer. Whereas this, you know, you're adding so much more to, like, what Dead Space is. And Dead Space is a you know, single-player game. You go through a story. It's not competitive um so i'd like to see this model implemented more instead of trying to you know make up some weird multiplayer mode that you know will be some bullet point on the back of the box yeah and i think i think this is is a trend we are seeing 
more lately, and hopefully it continues. I mean, we, you saw it uh, some with Mass Effect Three, where a lot of people were hesitant uh, going into it, like what would multiplayer be like. But at least, I mean, for myself, I know Simon feels the same way because we played it a lot. I, th- I thought they integrated mm-hmm. multiplayer into the game pretty well because I mean it was a way that helps your single player, but at the same time was you know fun enough on its own that you could just drop in and just play that just for the sake of playing multiplayer. And also, um, the what the game that most people regard as the classic co-op experience, Halo. Usually, Halo, for all it's worth, has only been there's a second dude next to you. Never explained, just there is another Master Chief that's completely not canon, completely makes no sense. That'd be awesome if they had a backstory and a way to work it in like the other Spartan. Uh, they did it a bit with you know Halo Three. There was Master Chief and the Arbiter, and if you did three and four players, there were these two other random elites that kind of showed up. They were they had like a paragraph bio each, but that'd be awesome if they had unique dialogue and unique uh, interactions with e- with each other uh, that made it so much more worth it. Uh, I think this is going to be something that hopefully we'll be able to see more with the Halo games going forward. With I don't know, I think what are they on the Spartan Fours or something at this point. And the fact that they can probably churn out more Spartans now that, at least, I mean, nominally the war with the Covenant is over. I don't, I don't really know how that's going to change uh, in the fourth game because I know I've seen gameplay things where you're you're still fighting, you know, Covenant races. So I don't really know what that means for the story and all that. But uh, I, I think they have an opportunity now to really work in a kind of backstory. Yep. So. Uh... That's that's definitely great. I, I like the fact that Dead Space Three is really pushing uh, co-op in a different way, different way that we've haven't really seen before. Um, so the next game on the docket for EA is Need for Speed Most Wanted. Now, when this one was announced, I actually did a double take because I remembered playing it when the Xbox originally came out. Turned out it was a launch title, but uh, that was with the old publishers, now Criterion is actually making a reboot of uh, of this particular, like, sub-franchise of the franchise as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of confused at this point. I, I, I don't know how many iterations of it there have been. I think, I, can't, I don't know if there's been two or three, and I'm pretty sure at some point there was a Most Wanted 2, and I just, I don't know, I just, it's kind of confusing. Well, it's, it's like with a lot of video game franchises we're seeing this day, these days, it's like, None of those actually counted. This is the like we're starting back over at one. Like we saw that with Wolfenstein. Uh I think that was the most obvious one. It's like just forget that all those existed, right? And um so it'll be interesting. Good graphics, fast cars. That's always sounds like a a winning combination, but we've also got Forza. But Most Wanted also has that unique element where it's not just pure racing for the sake of racing. It's like racing to evade the cops and unique kind of street drag racing. Yeah, I mean, like that. I, I had the, uh, I guess you could say the original Most Wanted. I had it like on the original Xbox. And I've never been a, uh, a big player of racing games. I, like, I mean, I, I enjoy them, but I, just, I never really got into them with the exception, the singular ex- exception of this game. I had so much fun playing this game, and I think the biggest thing about it was the fact that they added in that extra way to play with the cops, where you could either be running from the cops 
or playing as a cop. I think for me personally, that was one of the most fun ways when you just you'd be basically racing the drag racers and trying to arrest them. And I, I mean, for me, that different way of looking at racing games that was what made it really fun. Yep, and uh, I guess Alex will talk about this. Our obligatory Madden and FIFA. I think they're doing some new kinds of crossover stuff with them. Yeah, I uh, I didn't see too much about this. On I'll, I'll try and find the article that I was reading and uh, posted up with this podcast. But uh, I saw there's going to be some new kinds of Connect integration with the uh, with Madden 13, which I think you know if they do it right, that could be really cool. Could be a neat way to work it in. I don't know if maybe you call plays using voice or something like that. And, I mean, myself, I'm a huge FIFA fan. I'm a soccer fan. I have the last four iterations of the FIFA series that, you know, if just I buy them almost on release day. I just I, – I love the game, and it's tons of fun. And so, I mean, the, the new game is going to have new passing engine, new player intelligence, all that stuff. And so, I mean, they just – they update it every year, obviously. So, I mean, it's – Always, sports games are just going to be more of the same with updated rosters. But, you know, it'll be be fun, be interesting to look at. Uh, so that basically concludes EA. Um, move on to the uh, very vaunted and sometimes hated on publisher of video games, Activision. And I'm, I'm going to start this off by posing the question both to you, Dan, and to you, Simon. Where was Bungie? Yeah... Where where were they? That I was it the uh, partnership was it did they sign it with Activision or did they sign it with EA? It was with Activision, so that's that's why I'm asking. Like they, I, I figured they would have at least announced something coming. Cause I, I mean I know they said at one point they're working on this project, but I, I would have thought they would have put at least something out to try and keep their name sort of in the news. They said they I, although they released a press kind of. Thing beforehand saying that they weren't ready for anything to come out at this E3 and I mean hopefully they, they get something else that puts them back on the radar right now they're kind of gone into stealth mode well, I just hope that it's for the next generation that'd be awesome oh yeah definitely if uh, like Halo 3 really pushed it forward with uh, with the Xbox 360 and Halo obviously the original really set the pace for uh, the original Xbox. So it would be awesome if they could really be the one that creates a benchmark for the Xbox V next, PS4. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a question that's going to have to go unanswered for now. Uh, but the um, flagship Activision release, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, right? I, I think that's what they're calling this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would guess. Um, Dan, you got anything to mention? Uh, uh, the new mode, I forget what it's called, looked surprisingly good and interesting. Um, I, is the footage of that available on the internet now? Uh, we'll look into that, and if we can find it, uh, we'll post it with uh, the podcast. Um, okay. Yeah, because I had a behind-closed-doors demo of that. So there was someone, like, playing it. We were watching her play, and... I mean, the single-player stuff looked the same. But, yeah, this new mode just seemed cool. It's like a... jump-around-between-bodies kind of thing. 
and you have like a set number of units in your army and it gets there's like a one big map and it gets attacked at different points you can like jump to the action take control of a first person guy you can take control of a robot jump into a uav to you know look at the whole scene so i i don't know if that's worth buying the game i guess it's the first cool thing i've seen in a while from a call of duty game that's yeah, and I mean, out of that, they've added, I, I'm pretty sure in this new one, you can sort of attack your objectives from multiple routes instead of the, the sort of traditional COD, advance to the next place of cover, kill all enemies, advance. You know, it's just sort of through this much more linear progression. But what, what I'm sort of wondering are, are all these new single-player features, are they really, are they anything more than window dressing? Because it's it's pretty evident at this point that single player in COD is one of the most irrelevant things ever. It's really multiplayer is what sells this game. No one goes out and buys a Call of Duty game to say, "Oh, hey, I heard the story and the single player experience in this game were one of the best ever. I I gotta go try this out." I mean, that's not what people are doing. They're going. I have to disagree really? with that. Yeah, um, there's lots of people who love that game that don't have the time to invest to be good at multiplayer. And so when they try it, they just go get their ass kicked. You know, they're like, okay, this isn't for me. Um, okay. Well, what I, what I will say, and not to try and distance myself from people who play just for the single player. I mean, Simon and I have both done uh, uh, veteran runs all the way through. We're both very much uh, fans of the, at least the modern warfare sort of tangent of the Call of Duty storyline. But, I, I mean, I do think overall multiplayer is what what drives the sales. It's what pushes the Call of Duty games to be, what was it, like the the biggest entertainment release ever the last time they sold it, I think, is something like that. And, I mean, but, like, what I'm wondering is, you know, you I mean, you, you can argue it either way, but it, it seems disproportionately represented at all these events by single-player demos. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure you guys mentioned, and I think I read somewhere else that didn't, I think Activision finished out their press conference with, like, a 20-plus-minute playthrough of, a, like, single-player. And what I'm wondering is, why are they showing so much single-player when multiplayer is, if not the sole selling point, the uh, really the, the biggest selling point? I mean, it seems like it's a, a bit of a paradox to show the thing that may not be what is driving the bulk of your sales. I think you, you're still underestimating the market for single player. Um, you know, the casual Xbox player is probably going to buy an Xbox, Halo, and Call of Duty. And they don't care about multiplayer. I mean... Do you, I mean, uh, there's a lot of Xboxes that aren't connected to the internet. No, I, I mean, that's, that's a fair point. I know I, my, uh, I have an old one that my little brother uses that's not connected. I know a friend of ours has his from way back when that he barely uses and it's not connected. And I mean, it's, it's a fair point that, I mean, I'm, I don't want to seem like I'm just completely railing on the single player. I just think that it's growing less and less in significance, and I think it's like multiplayer is, I guess, on the rise in terms of what is selling this game. 
Yeah, I do agree that they don't show the multiplayer at all, which is weird. But um, how, I don't. How do you show what's new? Like, oh, we've got better balance this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I do, yeah, it's it would. How do you put that into a keynote? The multiplayer to show people like pros playing or now with more unlock overload, right? Yeah, more perks, God. more like. <laughs> different weapon trees which you connect with different things and then you unlock through various challenges and money and these contracts and all those sorts of things i I feel like that's just like again i talked about this on the last podcast like you need an excel spreadsheet to chart out exactly what you need to do in more recent uh versions of the game. game i mean going and playing these games is kind of like going to work you have to make enough money to buy this next thing so that you can continue to make money yeah um so that was black ops really um kind of kept it wanted to keep it brief because you know there's probably nothing we've discussed that people don't already know it's uh one of the most followed franchises so we're gonna go on to something a little less well known uh which is the uh 007 Legends, uh, the new James Bond game. Now, they they classify it as a first-person shooter, and it's tying together the first six movies plus, I think, the ending from, uh, was it the new James Bond movie, Skyfall? Um, On the the 50th or 60th anniversary of Ian Fleming. It's, uh, it's, yeah, 50th. Of Ian Fleming and the original James Bond. Uh... So this one was interesting to me for a variety of different reasons. Uh, Firstly, because I have played the previous Activision James Bond games. Activision bought the license, uh, I believe, in 2006 from EA. Uh, And so they've been making it ever since. They've made Quantum of Solace, which people said was pretty terrible. It was – I think it was first person. Um, No, it was was one of those – Oh, was it? Third, I think it was a third person over the shoulder. Third person? Okay, and then there was Bloodstone, which I actually did play, and that was also third person over the shoulder, which was like a copy of kind of like Gears of War plus Splinter Cell because there's the cover-based mechanics and then oh, some of the stealth. Then there was also, uh, at the same time, the GoldenEye uh, remake, which was much more well-received than either Bloodstone or Quantum of Solace. Um, so this one is, uh, definitely one to watch because, uh, we really don't know where it could be going, because uh, all of these new, uh, IPs, insofar as within the arc of James Bond, have done poorly, and the only one that's done, uh, well is a reboot, or basically a remake, um... Now, Activision announced a couple of other things. Uh, I think like a Skylanders, another Transformers, a couple of other things. But uh, these are really the main ones to watch. And so we're closing in on two hours and 15 minutes. We're going to move on to uh, Bethesda. Yeah, I, just a couple of things that uh, Bethesda did um, like to point out. First of all, Dishonored. The game looks awesome. And... I remember I was uh, following the Bethesda page, uh, I think it was a month or two ago. Uh, they posted something on Facebook saying, you know, watch out tomorrow for a, a big reveal or something like that. And it was like they gave a time. And so I, f- I f- thought they were finally going to 
uh, announce the uh, the new DLC for Skyrim, and little did I know it was actually a a picture of a person or something like that, and I was incredibly confused as to what this was, and then people started talking about something called Dishonored, and I didn't know what this was, but then a trailer came out, and this it just looks it looks fantastic. It's like steampunk. Assassin's Creed esque kind of game, but then there's also magic and other things. And just it looks like a lot of fun to play. And I'm really interested to uh, see more from this game. Uh, but it definitely has, I think, a ton of potential to be one of the better games coming out soon. And then, of course, Dongard eventually was announced. And from everything that I've seen and read and listened to. It looks like it's set to deliver on um, the promises made by Todd Howard, who's the uh, the game director for Skyrim. Who uh, he said he wanted to make DLC more like Rockstar, where it was more uh, like substantive. There's more in it, maybe uh, longer periods between releases, and maybe less of them, but just have more in it. And this looks like it's going to be a pretty pretty meaty add-on that'll be a lot of fun to play. Yeah, it looks it, it promises to be more like uh what Rockstar has been doing in recent uh games with like the Red Dead Redemption, the Undead Nightmare, which was I think actually eventually spun off as its own thing. You could just buy that wholesale and get that. Or things like we've seen with GTA four, you know, Ballad of Gay Tony, uh especially. Um things like that. So really exciting to see. Um obviously they make really good games. Um so we'll keep an eye out for that. But what now we're going to go to the studio that I think stole the entire show and really, really set the bar moving forward from this year, Ubisoft. And, Dan, you can comment on this. Uh, so it's Assassin's Creed 3, obviously, um, but... Uh, what I really, really am excited for, and the fact that it won't come out for a while probably uh, has me somewhat disappointed, but much more uh, basically excited with anticipation is Watch Dogs. The, the videos and the screenshots I've seen with uh, you know, unbelievable graphics and the open world. And I really hope this gets people up off their asses about the next generation of consoles. Yeah, I thought this stood out as one of the, I mean, this and The Last of Us, definitely the two new IPs to watch out for. Um, the, the Whatever they showed the trailer at the press conference was yeah, so, um, really cool. There's, there, so, yeah. There's what I think, go ahead. Uh, there was one particular quote that I was, very excited about which was um that north american director of ubisoft laurent de said uh every year you will find one or two depending on the year good new ips from ubisoft that is what made me so excited because if we see uh activision ea these established game publishers it's sequels, sequels, even like Microsoft, their own Microsoft Game Studios. All sequels, all franchises, all the time. And here we have Ubisoft saying, you know what? With Assassin's Creed, this is it. The trilogy is ending here. 
Um, we're glad people liked it, but that's coming to an end because we have more and better things to show you, and we're going to do this every year. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, obviously that's a risk because you're going away from the established, you know, Assassin's Creed games are obviously going to sell well, people are going to like them, and you're sort of, you're venturing out into the unknown. But as far as the games industry, I think that's something that has been, I guess you could say, sorely lacking in the past couple of years, because as you say, I mean, that's all sequels. Last year was, you know, the big year of three. So all these, you know, third iterations of games where developers are just sort of taking the safe and easy route and just sort of updating franchises, adding in one or two new key box art features, and then just sort of shipping out something that's pretty similar to what they sent out before and just sort of taking up the profit. Yeah, I think Ubisoft deserves to be commended and also rewarded for their efforts. I'm going to make an effort to really look at their any new IPs they make and uh, start with a positive light and probably go out and buy them because I think this is a very noble effort. Um, let's see. So, uh, what else? There, we mentioned previously in the Nintendo discussion that they're aggressively trying to uh, basically be the main launch provider for the Wii U. Good to see them expand their horizons like that. Even with uh, this amazing graphics of Watch Dogs, they're not resting on their laurels. They're trying to seek out every opportunity they can. Um, and they're also, they also do uh, admittedly have some sequels and franchises that they're resting on, which is uh, Far Cry 3 and Splinter Cell. Um, now, Splinter Cell, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't particularly interested in because it looks like they took the worst parts of Conviction and uh, expanded on them, and by which I mean the mark and execute. It almost feels like there's no challenge anymore because I just get uh, you know get the kills and then rack up three people, and then he, he shoots them for me. It's like boom, 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 and then I've just cleared the room. Awesome. That uh, that wasn't terribly fun, right? Yeah, I don't think this. I don't know if I can think of another series that's strayed as far as this one from its original uh, game. It's totally different now. Like, I don't know. The first one I played on the PC a long time ago, and that was amazing. And then I, I didn't play Conviction, but I watched and voiced over the guide with John, so I got to see it, but yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll be a decent game with decent sales, but definitely not something I'm looking forward to. Now, that being said, I am looking forward to your fart difficulty walkthrough when it comes out <laughs> uh, using those connect voice commands. Um, just You guys should just play the most ridiculous noises into the connect and kill the guards that way. Like, just yeah, run a soundboard no. of ridiculous things. That's a good idea. Make a make sure we eat a lot of bean burritos before. Oh, God. No. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to remember, what was that game where you guys were trying to do the voice commands and get it to recognize fuck? Binary Domain. Oh, yeah. That was funny. Run through a list there and start killing guards that way. Um... Okay, so Alex was really gung-ho for this one. Uh, and I was, I was interested, to say the least, when LucasArts said they were doing a hardcore 
mature, dark, gritty Star Wars. Yeah. Hey, there can, I, go. can I stop you guys right yeah, here? Right. Um, I'm going to have to get going. So I just want to say thanks for having me on. And uh, is there anything else you want to ask me before I get out of here? Uh, I mean, if you really have uh, anything to say about Star Wars 1313. Uh, uh, John and I did not make it to that booth, so I know nothing about it, really. Okay. Um, and I guess uh, we'll let you go with any more, uh, basically, who who won E3 for you? We'll discuss that after we finish LucasArts, obviously, but... If you've got to leave now, then we'll let you have your say right uh, right here. Uh, I'm going to say Microsoft for consoles and Ubisoft for uh, game developers. All right, that's what we had in mind. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dan. Uh, it was awesome to have you on. Hopefully we can uh, do this in the future as well. well. Yep, thank- yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for stopping by. Maybe we get uh, you and John on uh, together at some point. Yeah, uh, definitely a possibility, but not in the next month. (laughs) Right. All right, so uh, take care then. Thanks. All right, see you guys. Yeah, so, I mean, just going on uh, with Star Wars 1313, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and go ahead and say that Star Wars has been, for the longest time, probably my biggest, I don't know, like I said, you say nerd favorite series franchise. I mean, obviously shared by a lot of people there. Um, but I mean, especially the, like just Star Wars video games, those were for me something I always look forward to. And I think this game here, Star Wars 1313, at least leading up to E3, it was one of the best kept secrets uh, for this year's E3. Because I mean, I hadn't heard anything about it. I mean, I'd, you know, obviously looking around for all kinds of uh, news and stories and stuff like this uh, for the podcast and then also just for my own personal information and I, I saw nothing about it until about two or three days before A3 and it was actually funny because I was looking something up and at the same time Simon sent me a text saying hey uh, look up this game and so we started talking about it and it just looked in it, it looked interesting like obviously there was no videos or anything out because this was, this was pre-E3 but just the the concept of an M-rated Star Wars game. This is something that, I mean, I don't want to say something that's not true, but I can't think of a single Star Wars game that has been rated higher than T. I think T has sort of been their threshold for violence in any of these games. But, I mean, an M-rated game, I think, for me, that just, that sort of, that picked my interest. And so this, I mean, coming out of E3 seeing that this is the first time all the sort of various members of the uh, the Lucas Kingdom, you know, ILM, Skywalker Sound, Lucas Arts, obviously, all those guys working together in a, a sort of a cohesive unit tackling a single project, that for me is going to be the biggest thing about this game. If they do that effectively, and from all the videos and walkthroughs and things we've seen, it looks like they have so far, I think that is what's going to make this game such a success. I mean... The, the resources available to Lucas through all his various uh, properties is pretty ridiculous, Simon. And I, I think this kind of production value really gives me hope that LucasArts might be able to bring itself back to, I guess you call them the glory days of you know the 19, 1990s to the sort of mid-2000s. I mean, you saw amazing games coming out of those studios, uh, out of that studio. You know, you had the whole TIE Fighter series in the 90s. 
um, sort of the Republic Commando, the Battlefront, the Nazi-Old, well, Nazi-Old Republic wasn't, but that was that was working with LucasArts. You saw, I mean, towards the end of that Bounty Hunter, um, that was sort of, that was an okay game. Just all these things that were, you know, they, they, were, they were pretty fun, yeah. and I think they just, they did a good job. And so, uh, yeah, things like that. Um, I feel like this is the best way for them to recover their credibility, which has been very, very bruised, battered, abused in recent years by games like The Force Unleashed 2 and Star Wars Connect. Uh, although you should watch uh, Dan and John's drink along of that if you haven't already. It's quite amusing. Um, Fracture, which was a game that no one remembers because it was so terrible. It was like a terraforming game with terrible gameplay mechanics, uh, complete flop. Thrillville, which I think garnered slightly more interest, is kind of like uh, their own take on like a console version of Roller Coaster Tycoon, I think. And everything involving the new Clone Wars Republic Heroes, which is like the game version of that uh, horrible TV show who uh, whose very existence ended the uh, uh, the series of great great Imperial Commando Republic Commando novels as well as the game and uh, as well as I think the chances for Battlefront 3 and any of these more serious mature games that we've seen uh, that we used to see well hopefully it's not an end to it because what we're seeing here obviously is a mature rated Star Wars game and hopefully this brings around um, a new trend and maybe Lucas finally being opening, open to doing more of this sort of thing I mean as far as Star Wars properties go other than the uh, the long awaited uh, off delayed live action TV series the sort of more mature dark gritty look at sort of the, uh, the underbelly of the sort of imperial society in between the third and fourth movie, other than that finally being released, I think this is just about the second best thing for me in terms of what's getting me excited. Yeah, and um, really, oh, by the way, I should plug right now, uh, if you uh, want a good Star Wars series to read, then uh, read the Republic Commando series. It's It's absolutely fantastic even though it, it was abruptly ended um it really humanized the clones and revealed this entirely different perspective like almost like a a family story and i know that sounds kind of campy and silly but karen travis great writer writes a ton of other science fiction novels did it in an incredibly compelling way and i'm so glad that karen travis recently published an faq of how she would have ended the uh, now-canceled Imperial Commando 2 uh, really brought us some closure. I know I was very happy, but also um, very cathartic uh, to see that. All right. Uh, this We are almost at two and a half hours for this special E3 edition, so um, we're going to finish it up now. In conclusion, we tend to agree with Dan... Um, who thanks for coming on. Uh, Microsoft definitely takes the lead in consoles. They've got a very new, very dynamic direction, especially given the um, recent 720 leak, which we'll talk about on the next podcast along with the Surface announcement and their Windows Phone 8 initiative with games. 
Nintendo being so stubbornly stagnant and just blundering left and right. Sony making some tentative steps towards greater openness, but Microsoft definitely the one to lead. Yeah, and on the on the game side, we're once again going to have to agree with Dan that, I mean, Ubisoft really, really took the, the top spot. I, th- I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think there can be any real contention for it. So, I mean, I think they, they, they got a lock on it. I mean, they had a great promise of new IPs coming out, and not just new IPs, but, you know, fresh and engaging. If they're actively pushing for the next generation of consoles, I think the other uh, the other publishers are going to have to follow suit or really risk falling behind in a meaningful way. Yep. EA and Activision, if they just keep doing the corporate line of we're just going to keep making sequels, keep pounding these franchises into the dirt while uh, Ubisoft gets really creative thinking, really awesome ideas, especially this Watch Dogs. Um, and really the Assassin's Creed thing as a whole, that was really a new avenue. Maybe like a half twist on Prince of Persia, but definitely has taken a life of its own, become very unique. Um, there's a lot of creativity there, a lot more so than I think at other developers. And so I, I'm really heartened to see what they've got to offer. And with that, at two and a half hours, E3 Special Edition, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. Yeah, and um, as I said, hopefully we can maybe get him and uh, John on together at some point. But also, like I was talking about before, we're going to try and do this much more often where we bring in uh, community members, possibly uh, for longer segments than we had with Millennium Master, and you know, maybe maybe even as long as we had with Dan, but we're just going to try and integrate that more. And we definitely would love any emails uh, to ComcastWGG at gmail.com. Let us know, you know what you think. Comment on anything we talked about. Let us know if you'd like to be on in some way or would like to otherwise contribute. Uh, another thing you could do is just comment below and keep subscribing, keep rating on iTunes, keep downloading, keep doing all that great stuff that you guys have been doing. Because, I mean, for us, that's really helpful, and it lets us know that you guys are enjoying it, which, I mean, that makes it worthwhile for us, Simon. Yep, and on that note, it's time to end tonight. I'm Simon Wu. And I'm Alex Miller. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Shine your foscar, Nicky.